We sold Smosh for zero dollars. We started hitting 100 million views a month. I started to have this fear that maybe this thing was gonna just suddenly collapse. Ian Hecox and Anthony Padilla came up with Smosh in 2005. We were like, well, why don't we just make some original short comedy sketches? Two teenagers have become known worldwide. They're now cyberspace celebrities. I almost blamed Smosh for our friendship deteriorating. It was a disaster. They trashed the place. Somebody pissed on the president's desk. Did you ever take any of that personally? This idea started forming in my head. What if we owned this again? What if we had another chance at doing this exactly the way that we want? How did you get the money to do that? I was prepared to go into extreme debt, 17,000 square foot building, 35 employees, creating this legacy, that dumb little logo that I made when I was 14 yeah. years old. What's happening in that closed room that we don't see? I, I mean, I think... You're very good at what you do. Hey guys, just a quick word from our partner HubSpot, then we'll get right back to it. You know, fourth quarter is here, which means it's time to hit those revenue targets and finish strong, especially if you're in sales. And to do that, you have to fill your pipeline and close those deals, which means you need an easy to use all-in-one sales software called HubSpot Sales Hub. It's where sales teams can prospect smarter, grow revenue faster, and mine deeper customer insights. And Sales Hub's all-new prospecting workspace gives reps a single cohesive view of their work so they can focus on building relationships with customers. And with a new deal management tool, reps can easily categorize and prioritize deals so they can identify ways to accelerate revenue growth. It's smart software for smart sales teams who want to close the year off strong and win the fourth quarter. So make sure you check out Sales Hub and learn more at hubspot.com slash sales. All right, let's get back to it. Dude, it is surreal to look at you guys and see you reunited right now <laughs> yeah. after working at YouTube, like watching your stuff growing up. Oh, yeah. And I feel like your story is just one of the best in the history of YouTube. It's a long one. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't have written it better. If uh, if this were turned in, if this was a movie, I'd be like, that sounds fake. That's that's way too good to be true. That's too many coincidences. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And, and and so many firsts too. I was just looking at it. You guys were the first YouTube channel in history to cross 100,000 subscribers. Yeah. First YouTube channel in history to cross 10 million subscribers. One of the first of the 10 channels to be monetized and get a paycheck from YouTube. Um, and one of the first to sell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think there's been too many YouTube channels that have sold. sold. Yeah, or bought back, for that matter. All right, yeah. True. And I, we sold, might be... and then sold again, and then sold again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we won't be the up. first channel to sell forever, but we might be the first channel to ever buy back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think there's so many parts of that story, you know, like drama, big money, friendship, reunion, and, and most important, lessons for just anybody who's trying to get involved with YouTube or the creator economy that can learn from. And I wanted to ask you, if you could rewind back to 2011, mm. what were you guys thinking when you went about the sale? Because you guys were flying high. You know, one of the top YouTubers. I was just looking at it, like at that point, like we were even seven months before Mr. Beast made his first upload. Mm -hmm. um, um, Charlie D'Amelio was only seven years old. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys were yeah. ahead of the pack. Why sell? And tell me that story. Yeah, I mean, I think that there were no rule books on how to operate like a digital media business at that time. So everything that everybody was doing at that time was new and untested ground. And, you know, the revenue streams weren't really solidified. And we knew that we needed more support mm -hmm. for what we were doing. And we wanted to keep making our sketches bigger and better and expand Smosh to be like a, a larger thing. Because we were doing it all on our own yeah. at that point. And it had been six years of us just grinding. And I don't know if you were in the same place as me, but I started to have this fear that maybe this thing was going to just suddenly collapse because... Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we, we always 
because we were there since 2005, like basically when YouTube started. Yeah. And we saw, like even, even in 2011, YouTubers were burning out. Yeah. Um, and so we were like very mindful of like, we got to like be on this shit. Like if, if we're going to like keep this thing going. And, and yeah, I also like live with the fear that it could be over at any moment. Yeah. yeah and, and at that time, uh, one of the biggest things that was helping us was that the, when, when we'd upload a video, we'd get to either the most viewed of the day, the most discussed of mm -hmm. the day, which was like the most comments or the, the most, the top favorited of the day. Cause at that time there was no algorithm on YouTube. So everyone had the same front page. Mm -hmm. And we got really lucky because every time we'd upload, there was a very high probability that we would end up in one of these boxes on the front page. And that's how we were gaining a new audience. And YouTube started uh, removing that. And they started kind of shifting to uh, pushing you to content that might be a little bit more relevant to you. So I had this fear of like, uh oh, is this where we start to experience a downfall because we don't have uh, a way to gain a new audience anymore. So that was kind of something in the back of my head. I was like, okay, we need more support. And, you know, uh, there's a chance that this might all fail if we don't start getting that support to start, you know, bringing in money from someone else to help support us to do this thing. Yeah, I, I joined YouTube shortly afterwards and it's crazy how much that change in editorial and the rise of the algorithm mm. yeah. changed the business model and just the way creators went about their channels. I'm wondering what was that initial business meeting and is it true that they, they bought Smosh for stock and salary? <laughs> like there's no cash like given at the time. There, we had a company that had a minority stake in Smosh prior to that yep. and they were helping us with some of the background stuff. And so there was a, a a chunk of cash that was offered, mm -hmm. but that uh, minority holder kind of demanded that they get the cash mm -hmm. uh, if if they were going to go along with the sale. So yeah. uh, so they got the cash, and we were like, "All right, whatever." Like we we believed in Smosh, and we believed that we could grow it into something bigger, and and to be a part of like a larger media company that might one day you know, go public, mm -hmm. like, yeah, we, we believed in the long game. Yeah, I, I couldn't foresee any future where that company didn't end up going public. Yeah. And we were putting so much effort into growing Smosh that I foresaw this imaginary number that they threw, they threw out for what the stock would be worth. I saw it what, what were some of those numbers? exploding to like I mean, 10, 20 million times higher than what they offered. Wow. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and, and just for context for people listening, like that initial company with Alloy, Right, yeah. and then yeah. it became Defy, yes. Defy yeah. Media. Yeah, they so, merged with Break. And Break, right? They merged with Break and became Defy. But but at that time, so it sounds like there was another third party. Like they got the cash, you guys got um, stock, and then became salaried employees. Yeah, mm -hmm. what ultimately became Defy. Yeah, because Defy went out of business. Is it safe to say like that? Like that sale, like essentially became. You know, did you guys sell Smosh for zero dollars? Essentially. Yeah. yeah, we we sold it for a salary, essentially. We I, we signed a four-year contract at yeah. that point. I think we I think we we sold like a little bit of our like when they did like a round of like funding. Did we? They I did like know. a round of funding and so I think we had I think we liquidated some of our stuff. It was but it wasn't like wasn't really a lot. Huh. Like he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> It might have been such a small so, number. Yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, there was just so much stuff going on at that time. Yeah. But uh yeah, essentially, you could say that we sold Smosh for zero dollars. Yeah, and then and then yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we 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 learned a few things the hard way. You know, flash forward, you could see that the that that Defy 
collapsed in 2018. Right. And that stock never ended up being worth anything. But I will say, you know, if you go back and look at our content, just the content, not my mental health, just the content, yeah. you can see that after the sale in 2011, the content started to increase in quality. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian and I were able to start focusing on uh, just, you know, what we do best, being creative and having all these ideas that we have uh, come to life. And we had so many resources and so much support to help us make that happen. So... There was actually a big boom in, in the quality. Yeah, we didn't exactly, for for that entire time at Defy, I don't think we ever had a specific budget for sketches. <laughs> yeah, it was so, so loose. So it's just like, I don't know, what do you need? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you need like uh, 20 extras for this sketch, sure. It was like, so weird. I feel like at the end of the year, we were like, well, I guess we're still profitable, you know, or, you know, the company is still profitable, even though we were, we had no budget. Yeah. Yeah. So. And yeah, I think like a lot of people can, can look back and say like, oh, that was a, that was like a dumb idea selling to, you know, this company for $0. But I mean, look, you, you can't predict like what's going to happen, or, especially in a space like new media. I mean, maker sold for 500 million what was going to be like 1.5 billion mm -hmm. um and they didn't actually own any content mm. so so it's like like it's it's totally unpredictable and i think that if maker would have succeeded after the acquisition defy may have succeeded i think i think that when maker you know, failed and and it got folded up into disney interactive or whatever i think that spooked a lot of investors that were like looking into new media yeah everything that we were doing at the time every single thing was was new uh most of it had never been done before yeah. and everything was about taking a huge risk every single thing that we did in our career was taking that huge risk and it's funny because if you look back the things that we took a huge risk on that ended up being the right move mm -hmm. you know dropping out of college putting all of our efforts into creating content on this new platform that you couldn't even make money on mm -hmm. at the time um that is now seen as a genius move. Mm. But selling our company for what ended up, you know, selling it to a company that ended up collapsing and us not making a ton of money off the stocks, that could be seen as a terrible move. So unfortunately, that's just the way it is when you are, uh, you know, leading the, or trail, I don't know what you want to call it, but like forging a path that has never been uh, walked on before. I, I would say trailblazing. I think you guys sure. are the first through the door. And, you know, you now you see, like, I watched your interview with Matt Pat, mm. and he talked about selling his channel, like, he has over 30 million subscribers and talking about all the lessons that he learned from you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You're uh, welcome, Matt Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I hear about now, like, you know, Mr. Beast, like, you know, there's this uh, headline about him, like, being offered $1 billion for his channel and his mm. companies. Like, I bet there's lessons that he's drawing and his team are drawing from what you guys went through. Perhaps. Um, yeah. So I think you guys are absolutely trailblazing. I, I want to just stick around that moment because I did pull up the stats and I saw after the acquisition, your numbers went up. I think it was the first time that you guys started to cross 100 million views per month. Yeah, yeah. There was a large yeah. period of time where we, we were getting over 100 million views a month, which is yeah. just absolutely insane. This is before YouTube Shorts. This is before all the new ways that people have found that you could start gaining a, a huge amount of views very quickly. It was it was, it was was mainly in the, in the library. Like our library was pop it yeah like, yeah i think i think you know the way that our the way that our videos were you know it was short sketches mm -hmm. um and it would always end with like a really good like punchline. it would always like end really well and i think that made people want like 
feel good, and then want to watch like the next one. Yeah, and, and the reason why I want to talk about this before we get to present day is just because there's so many things that people can learn because I think every great creator needs a great operator mm. to work with them. And I know a lot of the narrative around being acquired was like, oh, like, and I, and I want to get into the creator frustration that sounds like happened behind the scenes. Mm. But I, I wanted to ask, like, what did you guys learn as like operators to help your creativity take another level, take go to another step? Like, you know, hey, wow, we became part of a bigger entity and there's a lot of bureaucracy, but here's a few nuggets that we still carry with us. Well, like I've always said, like the moment you start making any sort of money, hire. Like, you know, get an editor, train them on your style and then and then let them do that work or, or you know, find a producer, find a get an assistant like, mm. oh, my God, like it's so hard sometimes to book like other YouTubers for things because they're so unorganized and they're like, no, like, I don't think I, I don't need an assistant. And then like a couple of years later, they'd be like, I got an assistant. I can't <laughs> believe that. Like, well, yeah. It's so hard when you gain some success doing everything yourself, yeah. it's easy to feel like the only way for it to remain successful is if I continue to do it all myself. And it's also very hard once you get into that rhythm, especially if you have a cadence of uploading every X amount of days, like you have this rhythm that you're in, the only problem is that it's a trap. You'll get stuck there forever and you'll bring yourself out and you'll mm. hate it and you won't have a passion for it and you'll lose everything that drove you to get to that place in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard though, because once you do get an assistant, you do get an editor, you do start training people to do the things that you do, you almost have to put in double the amount of work for a certain amount of time. You have mm -hmm. to hold their hand to teach them exactly the way that uh, you feel it needs to be done for it to reach its fullest potential. And there's, you know, I always say when I'm hiring someone new, I expect to work really closely with them for about six months or so before mm -hmm. they fully understand the way that I feel things should be done. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think some YouTubers give up before that point. Exactly. Like they're like, yeah, I hired an editor, but like they didn't really like get it or like I could do it better. But I don't think there's ever gonna be anyone that just totally gets it right away. Right, yeah, you know? yeah they have to learn your style and uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like I think a lot of YouTubers think like, I mean, editing's the big one. Yeah. Where, where people, there's such like um, a personal element to it um, that it's really hard for, for creators to let go of that. But it's, I mean, to me it's, very important because I never want to edit a video ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was spending like, I, I think I was probably spending somewhere between 20 to 40 hours, depending on the video, each and every week. Wow. And now, because I've done so much of that stuff on my own, I'm able to then communicate with editors better. I'm able to get yeah. ideas and understand what is, like, what we are able to accomplish with these programs. Yeah, yeah. I was like, say, do it before delegating. Yeah, right. yeah. Also, I think it's easy when you're not when you haven't done that role to accidentally overwork someone or demand too much. So yeah, it's, it's nice when you've been there yourself. It's it's kind of funny because that reminds me of, uh, you know, there there was a certain executive that that we worked with back from Defy days. <laughs> I know exactly. And, and, they come, and they come from the traditional media world. And I just remember like, you know, we, like there was like a phrase that they would use a lot of times where they were like, just green screen it. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. We were like, oh, we can't do this because of this and this. And, and he would always just be like, just green screen it. And like, yeah, whatever. Oh, just do that thing. It'll just cost $20,000. Like there's just like no understanding of like how mm -hmm. like digital media worked and like how like we don't have the resources of like, you know, Disney. Well, well even even weighing out, is it worth the amount, of, for the amount of time and effort that it's going to require to accomplish that thing, mm. 
is the outcome going to feel like that was worth it in any way, you know? But it's difficult when you come from a place of managing a bunch of people and just shouting out ideas and just having them get done. You don't know how much time actually went into all these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's so much to be said about the, the suits, right? Yeah. And like, like people who don't always understand the creative trying to get involved in creative businesses. I do feel like we're starting to see less and less of that. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like now I'm meeting a lot of professionals that did come up in this space and do understand the creator space. And I I do feel like a lot of the the sort of traditional media or like old legacy media suit type people, we're seeing like less and less of them at like the VidCons and, mm -hmm. and such. I guess at Ballpark, how many hours were you still spending like working on Smosh? After the time? first acquisition? After the first acquisition. We, 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 we did sort of transfer to sort of a nine to five. Uh, no, actually, that's not true. We took we took weekends off though. Yeah, yeah. I'd say probably fifty to sixty hours. And what was the ballpark salary for what you got? Because it seems like you were still like operating as creators and owners of the business, but being paid as employee. What was the ballpark? Salary yeah, it was a uh, when we signed the contract. It was a four year contract. Uh, I remember for some reason specifically the first year was seventy two thousand dollars. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it increased. What do you think? That's low or high? I thought it was more than that. No, not for the first year. I think oh. the second year was like a hundred okay. and some change. Yeah. Uh, but it, it slowly increased. Yeah, and then they had like kind of a silly like bonus structure that was based on uh, profits. Brand, like kind of encouraging us to like do like more brand deals. Oh something. yeah, they had this uh, structure that was like off YouTube revenue. Cause mm. they really, That's what it was, yeah. they really wanted us to not rely on YouTube. I think huh. they might've had this fear that, was, that YouTube yeah, was but, collapsing themselves or something. Mm. Well, I think, I think that like, we did have like a good direction of building revenue that wasn't dependent on another company. So we had smosh.com, yep. we could control the ads there. Yeah. We had our own player on there where we had like higher CPMs. Um, and we sold merch and it was all about like, look, YouTube could change tomorrow. And like most of the businesses that were being built on there would be totally fucked. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think we did have like a good like intuition of like trying to build revenue that we could control. Yeah. And I feel like that was one bonus that we had was that we, we had all these other sources of revenue coming in. Before we even made videos together, I made Smosh.com, mm. and that was that. I started being able to sell um, ads on the website and things like that in 2002, 2003, and some of that revenue is where we end up buying some of our uh, first uh, equipment mm. and things like that. So when we found YouTube and started uploading videos there, we always had this this website in the background. And when we sold the company in 2011. Uh, the company that we sold to saw the website as a place for us to to grow into our own mm. place, our own source of revenue outside of YouTube. So that was a huge thing that they pushed. You know, we always needed to have other places to make revenue. Yeah, I mean, you guys did so many things so quickly. I'm wondering what you learned about prioritization and what project to pick. Because <laughs> I mean, I don't think there was like I mean, like no. the priority. The priority was always. YouTube, like I think, I think like generally speaking, like you know when we talk about like, oh, like maybe we'll do a movie, maybe we'll do a television show, like those things were floated to us, but it was always like 
we're never going to step away from YouTube for for five months to do a television show. Yeah, like that sounded silly. Yeah. Um. So it, the priority was always on creating YouTube content, and we never skipped a week for. I mean, I don't know, a decade. I, I truly don't know. Like, but it, yeah. like we never sk- like skipped a week. Yeah, I don't even know if we missed uh, an upload day more than once. Only, only one time we delayed because it was like there was a gun in the video and and it was there was like a school shooting that happened the same day and we were like, Ugh. so we pushed it a couple days because it just seemed really tasteless. Yeah, yeah. So that was the only time that we missed a a shoot, mm-hmm. a, a release day. And, but in terms of prioritizing our workload. I mean, again, YouTube was always our priority. That was our way to gain an audience. That was our way to push to all these other things. But uh, the company uh, ended up being like, oh, here's this thing that you could do. Here's this thing you could do. Here's this thing you do. And whenever, I felt like whenever I was like, ah, that kind of like eats into my my time with the sketches, which are the top priority, they'd be like, we already kind of, you know, we have to do this though. So then there were, there were always, it always felt like we were juggling 10 projects at one time. And I really wanted everything to, to reach the quality level that I had in my head, which was like the, in my head, that was the bare minimum was to be able to put, to make sure that it was something that our fans would really, really enjoy and feel like they, uh, you know, they, they supported for a reason, not just because it had our name on it. Yeah. And that's where I feel things really started to go south because I was, I had just as much care for every single project that was being thrown at us yeah and it's impossible to split your time up equally and give the same amount of passion and excitement and creativity and put it into every single thing that was being thrown our way yeah Yeah, i didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) what would you say you did (laughs) i mean i was more interested in the in the sketches yeah i think that most of your effort was there but there was there was a time when we were you know we were um working on the on smosh the movie and then we had this cartoon channel shut up cartoons sure, which was funded by the youtube channel initiative originally mm-hmm. then we had smosh pit where and and this new cast that we were trying to build up then we also had smosh games which was a totally different cast of people that were playing video games we had smosh.com we had where smosh. we had com. articles and memes that we were posting we and had comic books did like the we comic book we did long magazine live stream show yeah. Um, so it was it was just a lot of it was a lot of so in the game we had a mobile game we had a as mobile well game that, so it was just like we had multiple mobile games actually true yeah, yeah. so it, I mean like for me like there was just certain things that I that I just wasn't like that interested in so I didn't really pour that much <laughs> of my time into but but Anthony like doesn't know <laughs> like like how to not put all yeah. this heart into something. Yeah. So I think that's that's like really what just like spread you thin. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that you kept your energy in one place where it really showed. Those, you know, you you having so much of of your energy uh, and placing it in the places that were the most visible, uh, the YouTube sketches, those videos are some of our most viewed videos on the channel, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 million yeah. views on those mm. videos. While I was putting all of my heart into all these projects that now I'm like, do people even remember that comic book that we <laughs> yeah. made? Do people no. even remember the games that we made? Yeah. You mentioned just the creative frustration and a bit of that going south. Ian, you also had a quote. We were masters at being passive aggressive during this time. You said, we would go to our significant others 
and just vent about what was going on between you two, uh, but never talk about it between yourselves. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, True. If you could go back and vent to each other, what would you say to each other during those days where post-acquisition, you guys are growing, but it seems like things are getting tougher in terms of your friendship? I don't even know. Like, we, we just didn't have, like, the... I feel like we didn't have the tool set to just, like, talk openly about, like, issues. Like the like we would we would occasionally talk about issues, but it would be more about like, oh like is Defy fucking us? <laughs> like that was that was that was really the only like yeah. contentious thing that we talked about. But it was never it was never like, hey, do we need to be spending more time on these sketches? Do we need to take more control of like the writing of these sketches? Do we need to mm. do we need to push back against Defy on like? this like mandate of like the amount of sketches we're creating so we could focus on quality more than quantity. Um, yeah, we, we, we just didn't openly talk about where we were um, emotionally because I don't think either of us had like laid that groundwork. Hmm. No, and I felt, yeah, we just didn't have emotional maturity. I felt like if I talked about some of the frustrations that I had, it could create a rift, and then it would be even more difficult for us to get all this work done that was on our plate. And, you know, we had this level of quality that we wanted to reach for all the stuff that we were putting out. And if there was a rift between us, openly, that could really hinder that. Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, it would have really just been like, I think the things that I was mostly frustrated about was like, I felt like, uh, I felt like, Ian was kind of just okay to be like, ah, it's okay. It'll it'll work itself out. And I was like, no, we need to like take control of this thing. We need to really like make sure it's exactly the way that we see it. And Ian's like, oh well, we have a pretty good, we're in a pretty good place. This is a we're in a real we're really lucky. You know, we're just two kids from the suburbs of Sacramento. Like we're we didn't necessarily have like this big plan for our education. We didn't have a ton of money. We didn't like have all these things. And now we have these amazing opportunities. So Ian was more so grateful for the opportunities that we had, which, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. But I was frustrated about, yeah, we had these opportunities, but we, and we were in the right place at the right time for so yeah. many things, but we made this happen and we gotta, like, gotta put our foot down and make sure it's it's the way that we, we see it. So that was the, I think, the biggest um, contention that we had between yeah. us that we never spoke about. Yeah, and I think, like, I think also, like, there was, there was, like, the matter of, like, control. Like, I think a lot of a lot of your frustration came from the fact that we we didn't necessarily have control of business decisions yeah. that were being made. They were just and, telling us the business decisions that had been made. Yeah. yeah. So I think that you know when we came back in this iteration, Anthony was 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 very clear about like we need control. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to do this if if there's somebody else that has control. And not to say that like mythical was like domineering or anything, but it's important for us to decide our own future. Yeah, yeah and I, I learned, oh sorry. I, I was just gonna give context for folks like mythical yeah. is the oh, company that Rhett and Link started. They bought Smosh from Defy after Defy went bankrupt, which we'll talk about here in a exactly. second. Exactly. Yes. There's a lot there and a lot happened before. Exactly. Um, but you're gonna say something. Yeah, I was gonna say that because I just can't help myself but put, I can't help but put all of my energy, passion, and heart into everything that I create. I felt like I really, there were, I think one of my biggest gripes with 
defy and having sold our company was that I was putting all of my heart into this thing that I wasn't necessarily going to reap the benefits of. I wasn't going to be able to, to guide or lead. You know, I was constantly feeling like this ship, like I was just like just barely grasping on it. And at any moment, if I let go, it was just going to completely go off in a direction and crash. Yeah. And that was, I just felt like I was just constantly struggling to, to keep up while making all these decisions. And now, now that Ian and I do have complete control and ownership of the brand, I feel like I'm able to see where this company should go and have confidence that all the effort that I'm putting into it will contribute to the company going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine letting go control of a ship, let, it go, let alone one you built plank by plank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. just must be a, just such a, you know, foreign feeling. I, I, I wanted to ask, like, as Smosh was growing and then Anthony, you ultimately decided to leave. Mm -hmm. I remember vividly the day you uploaded that video. <laughs> the um, goodbye, Anthony video. I feel like it sent shockwaves just throughout the internet. Mm. The thing that I was most surprised by is why didn't you guys leave together? Yeah, well, I remember, so my frustrations had escalated beyond a point of repair, uh, probably, probably about a year before I made the announcement. Um, and I sat with those frustrations for a while. Ian and my communication was dog shit. So uh, about six months after I made that decision, I was like, I need to make this happen. Uh, the the contract, decision to leave and start your own channel. Sorry, yeah, yeah just yeah, the decision yeah. to leave. I didn't even know that I was starting my own channel, really. That mm. was just kind of like a last minute, last ditch effort to, to try to figure out what the hell I was gonna do with my life and my career. Yeah. But just leaving in general. Yeah, I mean, I do remember like we did, we did have some conversations about about the two of us leaving and, and starting, almost like essentially just like starting over and yeah. doing sketch comedy, me and him. Yeah, slosh. Slosh, yeah. <laughs> um, Was that a real thing? No. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember we had that conversation. We had like the conversation with like UTA about it. Yeah. And, and our agency, yeah. we, we had some talks. Yeah. And like, it just like, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't, it didn't really like, line up to me mm -hmm. and and the way that the business at smosh worked was relied so heavily on library yeah um so that in order to start doing sketch comedy over again without the built-in library um supporting the channel uh it didn't really make financial sense um and i don't know i i thought smosh is just such a great brand and it has like so much recognition and, and so much like it means uh it means a lot to some people because they grew up on it like people learned english yeah. watching our videos like and uh it didn't feel right to me to to leave smosh i still felt like there was a lot of potential in the brand and and a lot more to do um so to me it didn't it didn't feel right to leave yeah, so we had those discussions and I, I knew that Ian wanted to stay. And, you know, I, I wanted to create with Ian because I, I knew that what we created, there was this, this excitement uh, in the stuff that we made. Um, yeah, the stuff that we made together really was a symbol of uh, our friendship and the, the creative excitement that we feel when we're making stuff together. But 
I couldn't, I couldn't remain at Defy. I felt like my brain was going to explode at any moment and I had to get out of there. I just felt like it was just like I had a million pounds on my shoulders and I couldn't continue trudging forward. So I knew that I had to leave. Uh, it was it was a sad moment when you know I invited Ian over and, and told him that I needed to leave the contract that we were in with Defy. It was like a four year contract, then a two year contract. That two year contract was about to run up, and uh, I was like, I need I need out. Uh, I did kind of I was kind of last minute like, do you want to? We could do something. Um, but also our friendship at the time was really not not great because we didn't communicate it wasn't like we had ill will to the point where we like hated each other but there was just no communication there i had no idea what he was ever feeling yeah there wasn't (laughs) there wasn't much of a of a friendship left at that point you know we had we had gone from being like you know childhood friends then to childhood friends and business partners then childhood friends business partners and roommates Mm. and so we we spent you know, almost like every waking moment together and Smosh became the priority. Like Smosh was like the, you know, the most important thing. I can't speak for Anthony, but it was the most important <laughs> thing to my life. Like I put it, I put it above all my relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I forgot where I was going with that. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So our relationship as like friends uh, kind of just like kind of faded out. I think we also just became different people, but then weren't able to communicate. And we weren't connecting. We weren't growing together. We weren't spending any time together outside of work. I feel like the only link between us was Smosh. Yeah. And yeah, like Ian, I put Smosh above all of my relationships as well. My, uh, you know, my my partners, my romantic relationships, my, uh, you know, my family, my friendships. I put Smosh before our friendship. Yeah, yeah. And Ian did as well. So at that point, it was kind of like, if I'm leaving Smosh, where's our friendship? Yeah. We didn't really have one anymore. Yeah. So yeah. And it was and it was tough because a big part of the Smosh brand from the almost the beginning was this uh the friendship that yeah. Anthony and I had. So it was it was definitely weird, like when Anthony left, where, you know we didn't want to like freak people out and and like there's no way to really explain what our like personal relationship was so mm. we just told people like hey we're we're like friends because mm. we didn't hate each other or anything like yeah. we weren't we were like, friendly yeah we, we, we were friendly <laughs> yeah we just didn't really know each other anymore yeah wow. um so yeah the kind of like i'm sure like you probably never heard the end of it like after that like where people would just be like are you guys still friends? Do you guys hang like, out? Yeah, do you guys, yeah. It, like, we, I would always get that question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, we would, we would, it was like we were coworkers yeah. at that point. And afterward, it was like we were distant friends who didn't really have anything in common anymore. Um, you know, so I'd like message him on his birthday and things like that, yeah. but. Oh my God, so you guys became full on acquaintances. Acquaintances. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Definitely. It's yeah. So, I mean, I'm so happy with where it turned out, but that's such a sad turn for, you know, where things started. I, I think the thing is, like, it's, like, and I've said it before, like, it needed to happen. Yeah. yeah. And we needed to, like, completely, like, we needed this thing to, like, completely 
dissolve in order to like form something new. It was like we had to untether our lives because our lives were so tethered uh, just based on Smosh alone. I felt like there was no way for us to really grow because it had been the relationship had been damaged so much to yeah. that point. And we had to grow independently. We had to learn how to communicate. We had to know that if we were to air out our grievances or talk about any issues, that it wasn't going to be just for the sake of, of saving the friendship for the brand. Yeah, you know, right. I feel like, because um, separately over those six years, Ian and I did a lot of growing. We learned how to communicate. We took some therapy independently, <laughs> mm -hmm. not just for each other, but for ourselves. Yeah. And in reconnecting, we were able to see that we we still connected in the same way that we did before. You know, yeah. even if we didn't have the the very specific interests that we used to share when we were younger, our senses of humor, um, something about just our two personalities really click really well. And I think it needed to happen. You know, every single thing needed to happen exactly the way that it did yeah. for it to end up the way that it did. But the friendship specifically. Um, it needed to, we needed to completely separate ourselves from each other and almost find each other by what almost feels like by accident. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's such an important lesson for creators because so many people work with their best friend or mm -hmm. in many cases, their spouse. Sure. I mean, you look at Rhett and Link, what they have done yeah. for so many years. Mm -hmm. You look at Matt Pat and his wife and partner, Steph. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're a huge part of growing the channel together. My wife is my business partner mm -hmm. on okay. my channel. Nice. And yeah. I think, the lessons that you shared that one, make sure you find time to talk about things that aren't related to the business. Yeah, yeah. And if your relationship just becomes about the channel or the content, then the relationship is really gonna go down when the content right. or the business goes down yeah. versus having other things to kind of balance it out. Exactly. I think about that a lot now, especially cause you know, Anthony and I did, we did a little like writer retreat thing <laughs> over the weekend. And we, our, our plan was to like, uh, write a couple sketches mm. um and then we we got together and and we met up in the morning and and you know this is something i've been trying to be like mindful of but we just talked about like our relationships and like you know life. what's going on in our <laughs> life like yeah. and just kind of like just connected and and i was thinking like the back of my mind i was like I was like, okay, we've been talking for two hours. We need to get to work. And I was like, <laughs> I was like well, hold on. Like, this is this is important stuff. Yeah. Like, so I I try to keep that in mind when when we whenever we get together to work, that it, it can't be just work. Like, we have to we have to keep working on this on this friendship and this connection mm. um, because that's what's going to keep the work alive. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I, I hate the phrase small talk. Because it's yeah. not always small talk. Like you start off and then you right. give that space. It kind of seems like small talk at first, but it's like it's actually big. Yeah. It's like a huge, huge thing. It's so important, and that's something I think that we started to see it as small talk when, mm. when you know our most our priority was the work. Yeah. So we'd be like, mm, let's just skip the the small talk. Let's just get to the important yeah. stuff. Back yeah. in the day. Yeah, that was back in the day. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we can see now. We yeah. have the evidence of how that turns out. Yeah. Right. What a such a fascinating lesson. I'm curious about these um, individual journeys. 
Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because I've been researching so many of your videos and watching a lot of the Pokemon parodies that you did. <laughs> I feel like you guys were both Pokemon who evolved. Damn. Like during this time, you know. That's interesting. Are you Bulbasaur? Or you're a Squirtle. <laughs> I was Squirtle right? for sure. Okay, so I was Squirtle in the early days. Then Wartortle. Wartortle. Yes, yeah. when... And now we're Blastoise. Uh, yeah. I'm Blastoise now. Yeah. Wait, where, who are you? Are you? I guess I'm Charmander, maybe. Yeah, yeah you Charizard yeah. now? I think I'm Char... I'm, I feel kind yeah. of Charizard. Yeah. yeah. I need to like work on my upper body strength a little mm. bit more. But you do bring the fire. I, yeah, sure. I can bring. I can bring. I'll, some I'll be Misty or Professor Oak, whatever okay, you want. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. Officer Jenny. No. <laughs> <laughs> Team Rocket. You know, like. Uh, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about that because I think one, Anthony, you went on this journey, started your own production company called Press Alike. Yeah. Started interviewing people, but also experimented a lot publicly. Yeah. And then Ian, I feel like you came into your own as a manager, and were really a huge reason why Smosh stayed afloat. And I, I want to take both of those conversations. First, I want to start with you, Anthony. Like, my God, I, I can't believe how um, much bravery you must have taken to experiment that publicly. Oh, yeah, that's hard. Like, to, like, tell me about those initial days. Okay, you left Smosh. Uh -huh. um, you had this public video that, you know, why you left. Like, did you have an idea of, like, here are the formats I want to try? I want to continue doing comp. Like, God, what was I the did. plan when, when you left? Uh, the plan was make two videos a week and figure it out as I go. Um, and invest a lot of money in things that were not making any money. So I didn't know who I was as an individual. I knew who I was as part of a duo. Mm -hmm. I knew that I made comedy videos. I knew that I made, yeah, short comedy sketches on YouTube. And I thought that that was the only thing that I could be. I thought if I did anything else, maybe I wasn't being true to myself. Um, it's weird, you know, because you have... You know, coming from a channel, I don't remember how many subscribers we had at the time when I left, 22, 23, 24 million subscribers, but you have that many people who know you as one thing. You break away to do your own thing and you don't know who you are. So and I you was- have, And you have millions or at least at the very least hundreds of thousands of people telling you who you are. Yes, oh, yes. Wow. You have those comments of this is who you are. Um, and you know, you get all those, you get the comments too that make you feel like you need to prove yourself. You know, you're- you're nothing without Smosh. Uh, you're irrelevant and washed up. You you know, all, all the different types of, of comments now that I see as just kind of silly, you know, background noise at the time was really in the foreground because I doubted myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know what my self-worth was. I didn't feel like I had any self-worth outside of being a content creator. And that was all attached to Smosh, you know, this brand that, I made in my bedroom when I was 14 years old. Uh, you know, and Ian and I started making videos together a few years later. Um, I didn't know who I was. So it was, a, it was really a public display of me finding myself. And that was really difficult because I felt like I had to live up to the expectations that other people had. I felt like I had to prove myself. And publicly, when you don't know who you are or what you're doing and you're figuring it out on the spot, your numbers are going to drop and the numbers are the most public thing. Mm. So while my numbers are dropping, everyone is seeing it. It's and like- don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a really shameful thing. You know, I felt like I was being, like I was publicly shaming myself this mm. whole time by showing everyone that I didn't know who I was. And I was just kind of floundering around. Uh, a lot of the early videos were these weird loose sketches where they're half improvised, half sketch. They always ended up with me crying in a bathtub. Uh, little did I know, it was just me <laughs> accidentally publicly showing the way that I felt inside. Yeah. Um, 
But in that process, you know, I, I feel like I had to kind of reach rock bottom, which at the time for me, it was because everyone was talking to me about, about the views. I couldn't help but see the views. And when they hit, you know, 30,000 views and upload and I'm putting all my effort into this thing. Uh, and it's, it's got like 0.1% the amount of viewership uh, as what I came from in the past. And everyone, yeah, they won't shut the fuck up about it. And it's, I think that's my only worth. So at that point, I was like, what am I doing? You know, this was six months to a year in. I was like, what am I doing? This is stupid. I'm putting all of my time into this thing. I'm making negative money. I'm, put, I'm paying more money getting these things edited and, and paying for the equipment and all these other things and so much of my time. I'm putting all this effort in just to dig myself into a hole that seems insurmountable to climb out of. And it was kind of like, it was almost like I needed to reach that low point in order for me to just stop caring. Mm. I kind of didn't care anymore. Once I stopped thinking about myself from the third person, stop thinking about how others perceive me. And I was able to just kind of be like, eh, fuck it. I really don't care. I'm just making whatever comes to my mind. That's when I really started to get experimental in a way where it didn't feel like I was just trying to give people what they wanted, just trying to appeal to the algorithm and do what was trendy. Um, that's when, surprisingly, I don't know why, but a sponsor came to me and they were like, we want to give you some money. I was like, really? I got no views, but okay. I guess the Smosh legacy that I built is worth something. Or, mm -hmm something. Uh, but they wanted to give me some money to advertise a little camera. And I came up with the idea that I would interview people. Um, and I called it, I spent a day with flat earthers. And I was still playing into that trendiness of kind of poking fun at people that was so popular in 2018. Um, and that's where the first interview video that I did came out. And then you know, a few later, I did, I spent a day with furries and that was a little bit playing into the idea of like, these are strange people. Let's, let's see how strange they are. But very quickly, I, I just connected with these people so much. Uh, a lot of the furries that I brought out were Smosh fans mm -hmm. and they sang me praise. They respected me. I was like, whoa, I can't go from, uh, approach this from the perspective of like poking fun. And I also had been doing my own, um, share of therapy and I was able to, to give up on the idea that I needed to fit into whatever was was trendy. And I was able to kind of start picking other people's brains in the way that I started picking my own brain and understanding myself. I started trying to understand others from that perspective. Mm -hmm. I learned that furries, uh, you know, they, they, they came up with these fursonas because they weren't comfortable in a lot of ways. They weren't comfortable with the, uh, like in their own skin. So it was their way of displaying a part of themselves without that, um, without perceiving themselves from the outside and, and kind of in the same way, I related deeply yeah. to, to a lot of these people. And as I continued to do more and more interviews, I started realizing that I was learning more about myself by learning more about others and kind of seeing this common humanity between all of us. So uh, my channel started taking a shift toward these I spent a day with videos yeah. where I spent a day with all different types of people and I learned more and more about myself. I was able to kind of hold on to and apply a lot of the things I learned from other people's experiences to myself. And it forced me to learn how to communicate with people, to listen more, to be more observant. And oddly enough, I feel like through that process, um, 
you know, which was over a six year period. Well, I think those videos specifically were five years, but I was able to almost acquire more and more knowledge and learn more about myself, take more therapy, learn about myself, learn how to communicate. All those skills that I learned, oddly enough, culminated in Ian and I reconnecting. Yeah, yeah I, I think a few things like I take away from because one, your channel now has 7 million subscribers. Like yeah. You've been able to turn it around. Two, the fact that you guys have reconnected and bought the company again after, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I heard a rumor that in the first six months of you starting a channel, did you block the word smosh in the comments? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did, because every single comment was, go back to smosh, you're nothing without smosh, why aren't you in smosh, do smosh videos again. And I felt like I needed to grow on my own without connecting to Smosh, especially because I felt so much pain that I hadn't really resolved yeah. regarding Smosh. Uh, what, in a weird way, I almost blamed what, I almost blamed Smosh for our friendship deteriorating. Mm -hmm. um, and also so much of my self-worth was attached to that thing that I was no longer a part of. I felt yeah. like I needed to, re to find myself again before I could even allow that kind of discussion to come up. Yeah, Ian, what's going on at Smosh at this point? Like, and by the way, are you guys texting at this point? Is the relationship like cold? Like you're just watching his channel and the uploads come up, if, if at all. Yeah. Right? Like, take me about like your relationship and then also what's going on at Smosh at this point? And then a few follow-up questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't talk a whole lot. Like I think, I think we got together like maybe like a month after it all happened and we like got lunch or something or mm -hmm. dinner. And, Leela Thai. And, and uh, but yeah, we weren't, we weren't really talking that much. Um, which, which is crazy because I feel like another. If I was working so closely with someone, I would want their input on the output. Oh, you know, you no, know. I didn't want his like, input. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. We, I think we watched each other from afar. Wow. And and just kind of like we were seeing what he was doing. Um, I think we both silently resented each other to a certain degree too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, it was it was it was hard. It was just hard because, you know, like I said before, like so much of the Smosh brand was about me and Anthony being best friends. Yeah. So without Anthony in the picture, what is Smosh? Um, so a big mission for me was to redefine what Smosh was. And, mm. and when I look at Smosh, like it's a place full of really, really funny people. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of, I, I tried to like introduce the, the viewers to like, this is, this is Smosh. Uh, it's not just Ian and Anthony, like, and it's almost like an SNL cast, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's something that you know we had we had been sort of planning since like 2008, maybe of mm -hmm. of of building uh, a cast of people, almost turning Smosh into like a Saturday Night Live sort of situation where we find talented, funny people that can then create content with us. Uh, with the expectation that, you know, when we were like 35 or something, old as old fuck. fuck, we could like <laughs> finally get off camera. Mm. Um, and that was that was the plan because we were talking to our first business partner and he's like, what's your 10-year plan? And we we're mm. like, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, we had this, we had this cast that we had been developing. And so my job was to to try to shine the spotlight on everybody and say like, hey, it it's it's not just it's not just me here, um, and so I didn't give my title I didn't give this title to myself, but people started referring to me as like the dad of Smosh, <laughs> like I was the dad that got all the kids in the divorce, like that's how people d d described it, um, 
which fine. This, <laughs> this shirt, I feel very much of Smosh. Um, but yeah, and and I had to kind of take on this this leadership role that I wasn't, I hadn't really planned on doing. And you didn't really have that role when we were working together. No, mm. no, because we, you know, we had like, you know, these sort of like business leaders that were kind of like leading the company and then Anthony and I would just kind of write and appear in the content. Yeah, I tried to lead, but there was another company doing that, so I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then, um, yeah, so it was my focus to just try to raise up the other people at the company and kind of shine a light on Smosh as a, as a whole. Like, it, you know, it's, it's more than just the friendship that Anthony and I had. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a task. Yeah. yeah, tell me about that day where it seemed like you had to be like the parent in the room, the, the, the leader, where you got an email from Defy, who had still been your parent company saying that they're going out of business. Hey guys, just a quick 30 second break because I want to tell you about another podcast in the HubSpot Podcast Network, which I'm a part of. Finding Founders is a podcast hosted by Sam Donner, and it's all about vulnerability and entrepreneurship, where you can learn about the life stories of founders, activists, and even creators. I especially loved his episode with Jordan Tuoli, who leveraged his experience as a graphic designer to turn his passion for travel into a career. Jordan now travels the world, sharing his experiences with his 4 million followers across social media. So check out that episode and more by looking up Finding founders wherever you get your podcast all right now back to the episode yeah so um what, what was that day like can you take me back <laughs> yeah so the day we were in the middle of pre-production there had been rumblings they had they had had a, a company-wide call with us i think a few weeks or maybe a month before that said like hey we're running into some issues we're we're working it out with the bank don't worry about it mm. some some key people in certain areas of the company had like exited during that time. So there were some rumblings that maybe things weren't gonna work out, um, but we were still pretty confident. Like, you know, Smosh was still a profitable business, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what was happening at the rest of Defy. Um, so we we still felt pretty good. And we were working on the next like shoot slate. And, and then, yeah, somebody gets an email and they're like, did you get the email? And uh, we all got an email that said, like, effective immediately, like, Defy is, you know, no more. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were all like, what the fuck? So we uh, uh, threw a bit of a rager at the, at the office. Uh, the business leaders at the company were not present that day. Nobody delivered that news in person. No. So we just got an email. It pissed off a lot of people, understandably so. Um, so we kind of threw a party and, and some people trashed the place. And, I call it the great riots of 2018. <laughs> yeah, the great, the great defy riots. <laughs> um, I, I managed to, I managed to like save some of like the props that I, that I felt were, were important. And uh, I, I, I grabbed all of our DV tapes. We had all these like tapes that were, um, all of our like original videos. I'm, I'm just imagining like a fire, like you're saying you're grabbing it, like there's people sending like- It was like, like it was like in a cardboard get. box. I just showed it to Anthony because yeah. he yeah. didn't even know it existed. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, oh, by the way, I have all these tapes from Defy. Um, oh no, no, the riot, the riot. Oh, <laughs> sorry, were things getting trashed? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my God. how bad did it get? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, well, well like we, we sent a couple people out to like get alcohol and we were like, people were drinking. I, I know like, I know there was somebody that uh, it's not. That's not important. But um, I think 
Did somebody take a piss on somebody? The pres- okay, the, the rumors that somebody pissed on the president's desk. You didn't see it though. I didn't see it, <laughs> um, but people are like going into like one of the stages and like smashing Defy mugs. Uh, they trashed the place, and um, it was it was a disaster. Like we didn't know like what was going to happen. Like the the future was so uncertain. But I remember like telling people like I and maybe I was in denial or something in some stage of grief, but. I remember telling people, like, I don't think this is the end for Smosh. Like, Smosh is still a good business. Um, so I didn't see that this was going to be, like, the the total end to it. Mm. Uh, somebody at Defy, fortunately, hooked me up with the passwords to the YouTube channel. So we had we still had some uh, videos to release mm. during the downtime. And then uh, a third party was assigned to sell off all the assets of mm. the Fi Media. Mm. So basically, Smosh went on the auction block, and it was just going to be sold to the highest bidder. And that, to me, was really scary, because like this is all of our IP, and it can just wind up in the hands of somebody that really doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and I was if, if that was going to happen, I wasn't going to stay at Smosh. Mm. Um, so I tried to take it out myself, worked with a consultant to try to gather investors to buy it. Unfortunately, the third party wanted it sold like immediately. Mm. Um, so I wasn't able to gather the the people for it that quickly. But uh, Mythical, well, actually, not even Mythical, Rhett and Link texted me. Mm. And they were like, hey, heard what's going on. Anything we could do to help, let us know. And And I said, well, if you have X amount of dollars, <laughs> would you want to buy Smosh? And and uh, their response was something to the something to the degree of like, I think we can do that. So I had I had already like worked on like the asset like purchase list. Yeah. Um and so what, what do you mean by that, the asset purchase list? So like um all the properties like associated with Smosh, the yeah. trademark, the YouTube channel, equipment website domains uh which we also found out that that uh defy owned a bunch of like really gross domain names <laughs> so we threw that into our asset purchase <laughs> list as well so uh smosh owns epicbong.com and dickopedia and dickopedia <laughs> and uh some other like weird uh urls yeah um that we threw in there just for fun uh we also threw uh uh, our buddies, the Warp Zone. We threw their channel into our purchase list, and then, and then gave it to them because uh, they were also owned and operated by Defy. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you value that, by the way? <laughs> Who did you someone know, value it? Did someone like take? I I mean I don't I don't know if I had a specific valuation. It was just kind of like who was going to offer the most money for it. Yeah. Like here are all the things for sale yeah. right now. Yeah, and trying. So you were actively shopping it around. Like it seemed yeah. like you got involved in mm-hmm. that process to find a buyer. Yeah. So we were we were going around trying to find like individual investors or, um, yeah, people to to throw in money and and take it out. Were creators like on that little? Like, you're trying to shop it around to PewDiePie and like other creators no, like that. No, like, no. Like was Rentlink the only one? Like like tell me about that because pro- I think so many people like now that you guys have bought the company back say, oh, you know, Defy went under. Mythical and Rentlink swooped in, but I think the unspoken yeah. story is how actively like you work to like yeah. find a good partner to sell to. Like like how who who else did you get in front of? Who else was interested? There was there was interest from some other like digital media companies. 
there was, I mean, one that was horrendous. It was like this, like, it was like this Vietnamese media company that, that was just looking for like, I think they essentially like they just wanted to buy it for the press release and the press release would be enough to raise the stock value to make oh, it worth wow. it. Like they clearly had no interest in the actual content. And so when, I, when we were talking with them, it was like, this is, this is going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going to stick around. Um, uh, and then, yeah, we, we talked to a couple other like, uh, like capital type people, yeah. uh, to try to pull it out. Um, but yeah, with, with Rhett and Link, like, you know, in talking with them, they, they were the only ones that like really got it. Yeah. And they were the ones that were like, we're not going to do this without you. Mm. Like, we only want this if you're staying on mm. um, because they, they understand like creator economy and what makes uh, a YouTube channel valuable. Yeah. Um, it's all about the, the actual people in front of the camera. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we worked with them and uh, took it out. And then we moved into their, their building that they were in and started, uh, started all back up. I brought back, I mean, a lot of the employees, like this was like a, this was like a four or five month span of like downtime. Yeah. And so, you know, all those people were out of jobs and we went back to a lot of those employees and said like, we're bringing it back. Do you want it back in? Hmm. And it was, it was really, it was really cool to see how many people were, were willing to, like they might've got, I think a, a few of them had already taken on new jobs and they left it to, to come back wow. with us. Because at this point, like, was the channel stop? Was it paused? Like, like what, what was going on as you're trying to shop around the deal? And, and also, you know, I heard like, did you also like pay for editors out of your own pocket to keep things afloat? Yeah, we, we, uh, I forget how we paid them. It might've been out of my pocket. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, so I had access to the channel. We had some content that was banked, but it wasn't enough to take us all the way. So, um, I reached out to our cast and they worked with me and I had a couple crew that were willing to, to work with us during that downtime. So we, we kind of like reduced the output, but still managed to keep some videos out on the channel just to keep it alive yeah. because the, the worry was like if this thing just goes dark then then yeah it could go down really yeah. quick and to put a number to that i think it was hollywood reporter said that in an article rent and link bought smosh at that point for 10 million dollars mm. um was that a surprise to you that like or was that like above what you were hoping for like what where was that in terms of your expectation of or were you just happy to have I a, mean, happy, a good buyer that's just what the Hollywood Reporter says. <laughs> no I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's a real number or not. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> um, after they bought it, um, what were the things that started changing? And then, what's the relationship like? Are, are you have you reached out at this point, or like, was there any talks like with Rhett and Link about they're a duo? You guys used to be a duo. Let's bring Anthony back, or now it's just trying that, to pick out the next arrow smash. I think it was. I think it was a question of like, if it's coming back, could we get Anthony? And and I might have. We might have talked a little bit, but I think I think at that point, like it was still like, and I don't want to speak for you, but like I think you were you were very focused on building this thing separate from Smosh and like hardening like your identity as like you're capable of being like successful without any ties to mm. Smosh. Yeah, I'm not sure if you necessarily said like, hey, do you want to come back in? But I do know that you had invited me previously to like 
make a cameo and be in certain shows. Yeah. It was still Defy era. Yeah. So I was like, nah, I'm not gonna go <laughs> yeah. be part of Defy era again. Yeah. Uh, but also at the same time, I was trying to establish myself outside of it. Um, and I don't know if I would have just come back to be unemployed. You, you know, it, yeah. it didn't really feel right for me to come back as an employee. Yeah. Um, I mean, at that point, like, I, I mean, especially because I had reached out and like and been like, hey, like we should collab. Mm. And and Anthony was always very polite, uh, <laughs> but, would, but would decline. So I think at that point, like I had I had totally uh, resigned myself to thinking like, you know, Anthony doesn't have any interest in being in Smosh wow. again. Did you ever take any of that personally? Um, I, I always try to word it in a way where you knew it wasn't about you. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever took it personally. I think I was always like frustrated because <laughs> I was like, this is, we can get views, man. Yeah. Like it was, it was always like. I was almost like, I don't want to give to five views. Like mm. I, it sucks though that you obviously Smosh was, it was like, I didn't mind necessarily giving the views to Smosh, but like yeah. to Defy and it's just like a shitty situation because mm. you were obviously under the umbrella of Defy. Um, but you know, through that whole process, you know, I connected a little bit, but I was really kind of just observing from the outside. Mm. And it was wild to witness this. I still harbored a lot of resentment toward uh, Smosh because of all the Defy stuff. Um, and part of me was like, dang, this brand that Ian and I built is just like totally on its own, like not on its own, but like it's just doing stuff that's, I have no, I'm not a part of it at all. It's just like this amorphous thing that's just like evolving. Um, but I will say from the outside, I was, I was really impressed with how Ian helmed that ship and making sure that, uh, I was really appreciative too, that Smosh didn't just end up going to some company that just picked it apart and sold all of our assets, sold our logo to be used in some, you know, way, God knows what. And yeah. then, you know, the content just starts showing up in all these different ways and it's all chopped up and bastardized. Like we we now get to do the chopping up and bastardization. Yeah, that's our, that's my damn yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, also I got to see Ian step up as a leader in many ways and decide on the creative direction. And at a certain point, I feel like, you know, because Ian, you were so like, eh, well, yeah, we're pretty high. like, I don't know. I think that kind of sums up the way that you kind of uh, <laughs> thought about like the leadership. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I think that was one of the things that silently frustrated me that I never openly spoke about. I was like, I wish that you had more uh, of an opinion, more of a, a drive to creatively, you know, to see this go in the direction that you see creatively. Mm -hmm. So when I saw from the outside, Ian taking this lead and having you know opinions that he put his foot down on and uh leading this entire cast and elevating everyone for their strengths and also showing up himself as as a host and a leader and a boss and a daddy um i was like i think that was one thing that really made me interested in the prospect of coming back in and joining forces again i think that there was a a while, especially because we didn't communicate where I, I felt like if I did come back in, like it would be all up to me again mm. and I would have to figure everything out. And, you know, Ian wouldn't necessarily have the input because he's so grateful for just being there in the first place that he wouldn't necessarily want to put his foot down. But I saw that that would be something that you would 
take, you know, help me take the lead on. And it's been really cool coming back together and feeling like we are two entities who are completely on the same page with everything, but also we can separate from each other every once in a while and take our own lead and doing things, working toward the same goal. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like it was all on my shoulders anymore. Yeah. Ian had, you were forced into the position right. and you forced to learn very quickly, but you did. Right. And now we're able to, to run this thing as a duo who also have independent ideas and uh, you know creatively are able to put our foot down where it needs to. Yeah, I mean, the process of individual evolution before coming back together. Sure. I'm curious to ask about that first serious conversation you had. I believe, Anthony, was it you who, like you said you went on a 30 minute, like, hey, this is why we should buy Smosh. Like uh, yeah. uh, almost like a, a monologue. I'm curious why you wanted to buy it back, even though now in hindsight, it's an amazing story. Like everybody loves seeing you guys back together. But you, at this point, had a successful channel. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your studio, your production company, Press Alike, yeah. had 12 employees, is that right? Uh, yeah. 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. um, so you're managing a team, you have your own YouTube channel. Well, why add this to the full? I mean, you know, we all love to romanticize a good story, but it sounds like a lot of work and also risky. Yeah. You know, I, YouTube has changed a lot since you guys were back together. I mean, it, it began with me seeing some clips pop off on the internet, uh, on TikTok and Twitter our old clips. And I think for a while I'd resigned myself to the idea that all of our old content was only really good in the past. It was just, you know, something from the time. It was just, it's just nostalgia that makes me imagine it fondly. Mm -hmm. By watching the clips, I was like, wait, our, our, our writing, there, there was, you know, obviously a lot of shitty stuff, but our writing at times was really, really solid. And our, the chemistry that we had together off camera and on camera was really strong. And we, we, fit together in this way where we kind of balanced each other out and we were able to create stuff that was really, really solid that I hadn't found in anyone else separately. I'd found also, Ian, you told me that you also um, realized the same thing, that the way that we work together is kind of like this magical combination that we haven't really found anywhere else. So I started to get really nostalgic, but also excited about like, what would it look like if I if we made new stuff? What would it, what would our jokes look like? Could we do even better than we did in the past? Is our writing even stronger? You know, could we create stuff that that uh, gives people that same feeling that I felt while making it? Because at the same time, I'm getting stopped almost any time I go out. I'm getting stopped by people, and it seems like it's increasing for some reason. People saying like, "Whoa, I grew up with Smosh." That was some of the, you know, some of the most magical times of my life. Some of my, the best memories I have is sitting down with my friend and watching these videos and the way that we connected or, or you know, I'm, I'm in Prague and some random guy on the street stops me and he's like, I learned English watching your videos and you were the biggest part of my childhood. And I'm, you know, all over the world, a random spot, like a middle of nowhere town in Iceland, someone's walking in the middle of the street and stops me. It's like everywhere I go, all over the world, there's people stopping me and telling me that Smosh meant so much to them. And I... For a while, I resented it because it was this thing in my past. But then I started to, to completely reframe my view of it. And I think it was having the success of the channel on my own. I, I was able to detach myself from the resentment completely. And I was able to start being really appreciative when people would say Smosh meant so much. For a while, I was like, you're just talking about my past, not yeah. my present. But when people would talk about my past to me with Smosh, I started to really be like, it means so much to me. That's something that meant so much to me meant so much to you as well. And we have that connection. And um, it was it was a really magical feeling that I was just consistently feeling. And going back, watching those old videos, 
realizing that there were some really, really solid, funny moments that really held up. It didn't really feel like it was just in the past. Ian and I started reconnecting and this idea started forming in my head. What if, mm. what if we owned this again? What if we had another chance at doing this exactly the way that we, that we want? And I think that it really was having the success of my own company and channel that made me realize that this desire to do this thing wasn't just like operating from a place of fear. Yeah. It was operating from a place of abundance. Yeah. You know, I already have all these things. I don't need this thing. I just think it would be really cool. I just want this thing. Mm. I genuinely just want to do this thing, not because I feel like if I don't, then what? Mm. You know what I mean? I feel like I needed to have that success. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it an amazing commentary on the power of nostalgia? Like, I, I feel like that's why Hollywood reboots so many franchises. Yeah. You grow yeah. up, for better or for worse, you grow up with something and you see like a modern spin on it, modern take. I almost feel like we're about to see a reboot or a revamp of like Smosh and just to see your take on I'm, I'm so excited to see some of these sketches like recreated from the past and also new things. Yeah, that's that's kind of a mission for us is to, is to you know, sort of like honor that, uh, you know, give something to the people that came up with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but also find find a new audience like find you know what's what's funny to us today yeah um so we do we do go back and like watch smosh sketches like old, like the classic stuff and say like what's what's funny about this what's like what's the magic behind this and how can we bring that magic to the current videos yeah. and so it's it's interesting for me to like watch these new sketches and think and like kind of analyze it and go like okay is this like Am I making these creative decisions out of like nostalgia, or, or am I just making those those decisions right there because that's funny to me right now? Yeah, um, it's almost so, like how people like—is it fan service or is it actually? Yeah, there's this very specific kind of balance that I feel like we've been doing a pretty good job of finding, where we we do uh, honor a lot of our old stuff and and any old fans that are coming in and watching our new stuff are gonna be like, oh shit, that reference, oh, that reference, oh, I know exactly the video that they're referencing there. While at the same time, I I love making stuff that a new audience uh, doesn't have to be familiar with our yeah. old stuff at all. We'll make references, but it won't rely on those references. Hopefully the jokes that we we make stand on their own yeah. completely. Yeah. It's a little less misogyny in our news. <laughs> you could be funny without that. I know. Uh, we should tell our 2012 stuff. Yeah, funny. I would be like, nah, bro, nah. No, nah, let's, uh, let's make another Kesha joke. <laughs> After you guys spoke about it, and we're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to try to buy it back. Um, how, how did you get the money to do that? I mean, like, re reportedly, like, like if Rent and Link like, bought it for $10 million, mm -hmm. um, and, like, like, do you guys go into debt? Like, where, where do you get this money from? Because like, it's a financial risk to go back and buy it in addition to, like, an emotional, like, a workload, like, risk. Like, how, how did you guys, like, put together the funds to be like, we're going we're gonna to come back and do this? Yeah, I mean, we, we worked at the company called Breeze. Mm. Um, so, yeah, finance, finance that way. Yeah, they help. I mean... I mean, we were in talks about all these different ways of how we're going to get money. I was prepared to go into extreme debt because um, I have so much confidence in Smosh as a brand. And Ian and I had so many ideas for for how we can, uh, could expand and improve upon everything that Smosh was already doing. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to put it all on the line. Luckily, uh, 
I didn't have to sell every single thing that I own, but I was prepared. <laughs> I was prepared. Cool. Yeah, we definitely had a lot of discussions about how we were going to do this. There's a lot of ways to finance it, but but none of them were um, none of them were that appealing, except for except for this one. And I think we 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 got to a place where. We're happy. Mythical's happy. Breeze yeah. is happy. A lot of the other ways that we could have financed it would have had us in debt for what I imagine could be forever. You know, <laughs> which, which you know, going into operating a, a company, even if you do have the full confidence that it's going to be super, super successful, um, it just felt like there would be that fear lingering in the in the mm. back of my head, or or this feeling of debt. And you know, it's like the the same weight on my shoulders that I felt while I was at Defy, but a different kind, and that mm. was not appealing. Yeah, that was that was a conversation that I would have with Anthony. It's like, it's like, okay, well, like if we go into like personal financial debt on this, then that's going to be the primary motivator for making content, mm-hmm. and that's we what not what we originally talked about right. like we don't want this thing to be we don't want to be creating content just to make money yeah. like no. like it needs we need to be creating content that that we believe in and that's how it's going to be successful and then we can and then it could you know yeah. be profitable but if if the if the plan is just like okay we have to make three videos a week on the main channel yeah. and like we have to be doing this and have to be doing this and have to be doing this. And then we'd be in the same exact scenario that we were in back at Defy. Yeah. yeah. So, so like our focus is, is quality over quantity um, specifically for the, the main channel. And that's, and that's where uh, a large portion of uh, not, not the whole portion, but a large portion of Anthony's focus is, is on the main channel. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we got to approach, everything that we do at Smosh from a place of being excited about what's the best for the content itself. Yeah. Uh, what would I really love as a viewer rather than just thinking about, you know, the investors and paying back the debt? Because like Ian said, that's exactly the place we were in the past. And we know for a fact, we learned the hard way that that doesn't work. Right. Right. Yeah. It's amazing how many, I mean, feelings matter when it comes to a creative business. Yeah. Especially when you're operating from a creative place, you know, it's not, we're not just in the operations of the business. In fact, I think it's really good that we are, you know, our faces are attached to it. Our creative endeavors are fully public. Mm. Uh, our friendship is public. All these things, you know, I feel like if, if it, all these things weren't fully visible, I, I, could, I could see some world where I'm like, well, you know, operating from a place of like, we're just investors, but I'm, I'm really glad that we, we're in the same position now that we were in when we first started, mm-hmm. which is us being two really, really close friends who love making each other laugh, love spending time together, love creating stuff together, love capturing the magic that we feel when we're hanging out together and, and enjoying our time together and displaying that for other people to enjoy as well. Yeah, I, I think what you said about operating from a place of abundance yeah. Um, and doing that here because it, it sounds like the story of Smosh so far is like you guys built the ship plank by plank um, during that 
shaky waters, like Ian, you kept it afloat. Mythical came in, Rentlink put some wind in the sails, and now you guys are, are back at the helm. Is Mythical still a uh, stakeholder in the company? Like they're still involved as well? Like I, I believe that was reported. So they're still financially yeah, they're, incentivized. They're still, to... Yeah, there's still a minority share and, and they're still incentivized. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I know they're helping a lot with the transition. It just seems like they're really like putting you guys first and making sure that it, th- this is all for the long term, which yeah, is amazing to yeah. see. Yeah, and it's really great because Rentlink have a somewhat similar story as being a yeah. duo, two best friends who grew up together and created a company. So they really get it and they want nothing more than for us, our friendship, the duo, the company, the content, for all of that to thrive in the same way that they would want it for their own company. Yeah, yeah. I think when when I when I first went to Rhett and Link to tell them that we were thinking about, you know, Anthony coming back in and, and buying Smosh, like they were they were first off just excited yeah for the for just the fact that it was happening the the story that could be told oh, yeah. of like these two you know smosh coming back together and and the business was was secondary mm. for them it was like it was more important that it was like that this happened yeah yeah um, is there any ballpark number I, I like that you guys bought it back for? Or like, is it in the 20, 30 million? If it was 10 million sold for, is there any number like ballpark you guys could comment on? And we really don't want it to be about that, so we're yeah. not talking about the number, but sure. we, we will say that we're every single party is very, very happy with cool. it. Yeah. It's also like so complicated, I can't even explain it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, just a, I'm just a YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> I, just let, I just let the the numbers people figure it out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, great. I feel Can like we, we make videos. We okay, need another good. half hour yeah, to yeah. really fully explain because it is a complicated deal structure but in the end it's it's very very good for all of us yeah and i feel like the story because you guys are so public facing adds to the value as well so people seeing you guys reunite um i want to talk about like what's going on today like how how big is smosh right now i know we're in your studio right now and like i think this is seventeen thousand square feet um two sound stages if i recall yeah i think it's i think it's around 17 17, square feet something you should know this. You're We're the Zoe. CEO. Yeah. You're Zoe. 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 Yeah. No one knows. It's yeah. big. I mean, it's huge. It's yeah, gigantic. So it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple sound stages, prop area. Like, and there's we built offices. It. And... Yeah. So in the in the mythical era, um, during the pandemic, we found this place. We, we really needed a place that had studio space and office space. Yeah. Yeah. And in LA, that's very hard to find because most of the studios are just owned by major studios um so we actually found this place empty no soundstage and with the help of mythical we built these two stages out built the office space um there was nothing in here before yeah um so it it took a long time uh but we're here now and it's it's so cool because it we always had some kind of like you know like we always just made it work. Yeah. Like where, you know, back in the Sacramento days, we had this tiny little stage that had like one little office space and mm. we'd just go there and shoot, but we'd have to work at home mm. or, or in the offices in, in, in LA. And then when we went to Defy, it was like Defy operated out of a, like a medical building. <laughs> so, so the ceilings were like 10 feet high and they're trying to put a grid in the, in the ceiling for lights. Oh, wow. And it was a pain in the ass. There was an MRI machine right below us. So we'd have to stop whenever the MRI machine would start going. Uh, So that it was, it was, and, and there was like, it was on the second floor. So like you would have to, you couldn't build any sets Mm. and then bring it up. You'd have to build it like, and then like 
back with Mythical. We're like trying to share space with them. And so there's like kind of limited space there. And then we had a separate studio and the place where we stored. And it was always just like, just trying to make it work. Yeah. And finally, we were able to find a place that we could really call home mm. and have everything be based in one area. So everybody works in the same building. Mm. You know, if you need to talk to the art department about something, you just walk down the hallway. If you need to talk to uh, the pit director, you just walk walk to their desk. So the the efficiency in this building is is just like really awesome. It's really cool. We almost have a blank slate to build out this place and make it work perfectly for exactly what we need. And when we have uh, multiple other channels, yeah. we have Smosh Pit, which is uh, the channel where you know a, a group of people. You know, we have we have a cast of, of really incredible people that helped in many ways keep the Smosh brand alive while yeah. I was gone. And, you know, Ian, you helped elevate all of uh, these really uh, really talented people and performers. But like we're we're on the Smosh Pit stage now. There's a lot of Smosh Pit stuff over there. We have this stage, this side of the stage here for. Uh, our new show, Flashback with Smosh, uh, which is a podcast-style show that's on our Smosh Cast channel. In the room next door, we have the stage over there for Smosh Games. Mm. So we're, you know, I will say, like, coming into this company, owning this company again, building out the main channel, making the sketches in the classic style that Ian and I used to, we now have these other channels with this incredibly talented crew, uh, group of people that are able to keep the channel um, operating and thriving yeah. uh, or keep the brand thriving while we're able to stay focused over on this channel. Yeah, I, I want to go into those uh, specific channels. Give me a, more of the state of Smosh today. Like sure. what, what are all, so we have the main channel, Smosh. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the second channel, Smosh Pit. Mm -hmm. um, what are the other like channels that are active and, and that you guys are prioritizing yeah. post acquisition? So we also have Smosh Games, which yep. is our, um, it's, it started as a video gaming channel. It's, so now it's, we found a lot of success with um, like tabletop, mm. board game, role playing games. Uh, so we do that. Oh, we still analog, like like yeah. literally in person games. Yeah, yeah so many yeah. people when you're gaming, you're thinking like right. you know, like playing it on your computer, like playing on a screen. Mm -hmm. You're talking yeah. about actual. So we still do do video games as well, but but I think the 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 thing that set Smosh Games apart from all the other gaming channels was it was it was a group of people mm -hmm. like coming together. Nobody was necessarily good <laughs> at the video games, but but I think that's what made it appealing because it's like it's a group of friends hanging out, having fun. That's all that's important. It doesn't yeah. matter who wins the game. Um, and so I think that really played well into, you know, that dynamic plays really well into tabletop games, mm. you know, playing playing games like Werewolf or, um, you know, Jackbox games, those yeah. kind of things, those casual games where it's just about having fun and laughing and making jokes. Um, it's not about like getting the epic 360 nose go. <laughs> there, there are other channels for that. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's been cool to to elevate each of the channels uh, or see what the channels offer that is so unique to Smosh. Yeah, and elevate those elements um, and focus less on the things that you can get everywhere else on the internet. Yeah, and oh, and then uh, the Smoshcast channel, which yeah. is our podcast channel. So we brought we. We went. We went. Uh, we went dark for for a few years on our on our podcast 
stuff, and then we brought it back recently, mm -hmm. renamed the Smoshcast show to Smosh Mouth. Yeah. Because why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then uh, we're launching Flashback with Smosh, which is Anthony and I uh, taking the viewers through classic Smosh uh, so episodes cool. and kind of like giving the background on it. Mm. Um, and then we have, and then we brought back El Smosh, uh, which is our Spanish language. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the guy that did all, our dubbing back in the day came back. And he's doing dubbing for <laughs> us. Everyone's again. back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because he actually started doing fan dubs huh. himself. And then uh, we. Oh, hired, fan dubs. Like, like literally not, like not official. Just as a fan. Unofficial yeah. dubbing. Yeah. And we brought him on to do official dubbing way back in the day. And then he. Uh, stopped doing that for a long time, but after our acquisition, he he came back on. Yeah, uh, were we the? I heard that we were the first channel to do a Spanish dub of our standard content. Is that right? Uh, I don't know if that's right. I, I don't know of any other. I don't know of any other examples yeah. at that at that time. Because obviously, like Mr. Beast. Uh, I don't know. He yeah. doesn't call it El Beast, does he? <laughs> no, he no, did. Uh, I mean, Mr. Beast Espanol. Espanol. Yeah. And YouTube just launched multi-track audio, so you could combine it all on one channel. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. those views aggregate, and yeah, you know, there's an explosion. Um, Whoa, wonderful! People. Do that. And then there's like AI mm. dubbing, which is now a huge trend, and oh, we're, we're trying yeah. that on our channel, just trying oh, to really? see how like good it is and oh. pretty sophisticated. They're dad. They're really good. And, wait, what was that? Verdad? <laughs> I actually don't. Uh, yeah. What is that? <laughs> I spoke. I grew up speaking Farsi, Hebrew, and Arabic. I, I, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's it, it's pretty good. And uh, then we bring in somebody at the end to clean it up and add mm -hmm. a bit of a human mm -hmm. touch. But um, no, I remember back in the day. I think also one of your videos was translated to Hebrew, and that was one of the first times. Like, uh, whoa! Yeah, your Pokemon video. Oh, oh shit! Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it was translated to all different. Oh yeah. in all different yeah. languages. People doing it for it was. It was really cool. Anyway, I, went, I went on a rabbit hole to prep for this. Um, <laughs> I also saw, like, you know, just speaking about, you know, Anthony, you going in and just trying to understand what Smosh became, what it is, who is the talent. You did like a speed run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of all the different formats and channels. Yeah. I, I'm curious, like, what did you learn as you did that? Yeah. So that was that was one of the biggest things that I wanted to to do when I when we. Uh, when we made this acquisition, I wanted to fully understand because from the outside, I could look at all the different channels, all the different shows, and start make, like nitpicking and saying, "Change this, do this," you know. But I wanted to fully immerse myself into the production and be uh, talent on screen with with the the rest of the crew. And uh, I felt like I needed to immerse myself fully to understand, you know, what goes into the process, what it feels like to be on camera, what the production is like why certain choices yeah. were made. And I I learned that, the I mean, first of all, the shows are so much fun to be a part of. The, the chemistry between the whole cast and everyone on camera is really where these shows shine. Yeah. And, um, you know, I also got to learn from the outside perspective what it feels like to be a guest. So when, in the future, when we're bringing guests in, I, I know uh, how to communicate that. And I'm able to be like, this worked really well for me being on Try Not To Laugh, you know, mm. sitting in the chair first, having other people try to make me laugh, it made me real understand the show better. So that's something that we should always do for the guests that come on. Um, but I, I learned a lot about why, like what elements of each show makes it uh, feel so, so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those little details matter a lot. Yeah, so, so going in now, it's going to be a slow process, but now as we 
continue to potentially refine, restructure, um, you know, uh, phase shows in or out, that kind of thing, or, you know, elevate certain cast members uh, to be more of a host uh, of, of certain shows. I'm now able to see from, uh, not just from the outside, but from the inside, mm. what makes all these things work. Yeah. And, and that's going to be a process that, that I am excited about is making all these refinements to each of the shows. Yeah. But that's going to be a slow process. Can you talk about the state of produced sketches on YouTube? And yeah. like comedy. I mean, I mean, it is. I think Anthony, I interviewed you on the red carpet at the streamies, and you, I asked about how much some videos had cost. I think you mentioned at the time some Smosh videos cost forty to fifty grand. Certain videos that were sponsored, like the Assassin's Creed yeah. uh, Three Ultimate Music Video. I forget what we called it. Whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah, that's yeah, called. Yeah. Assassin's yeah. Creed Three something. Yeah, there's some big music videos where we spent a pretty good chunk of money on. Yeah. Where, where I think it was probably between like thirty to fifty. Yeah, and YouTube just doesn't reward short content mm -hmm. that takes a lot of time and energy yeah. and money to produce. You know, that, that video is something like three and a half or four minutes long, mm -hmm. cost somewhere between thirty dollars to $50,000 to make, took three full production days uh, just to shoot it. That doesn't include all the other time, you know, that went into creating the costumes or, you know, us uh, recording the song, writing the song, recording the song. And you know, for that to just be a three and a half minute video that pops up on YouTube, you get one ad at yeah. the beginning of that. Mm. So I don't even know how many views that type of video would have to get. That video does have 100 million views yeah, right now, say, so yeah. maybe it made its money Dang. back, but that is yeah. so rare for you to put that yeah. much into something that short. And YouTube just doesn't push it the same. Mm. I think I think that's another that's another reason why the timing of us coming back as Smosh just just seemed like so perfect because you know for for years we knew that like sketch comedy wasn't like a profitable thing to do on youtube mm. too short um and we realized like now with memberships on youtube yeah. um having a fan supported uh method uh could actually work and there's so many people that that would be so excited about smosh coming back and it's kind of like that moment where it's like, finally, like this makes sense mm -hmm. again to make sketch comedy on YouTube. So we we came back and and we've been very clear, like this this can't happen without without people's support. Yeah, yeah. if we were reliant on AdSense and AdSense alone, we would mm -hmm. be losing money on every single video. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need the support. We need people to sign up for the memberships uh, to, to help us uh, supplement the the costs, yeah, you know, make it worth the amount of time and money that it that it requires. And there is such a strong fan base that mm -hmm. we have seen a large amount of support. Yeah. But that was one of the things when uh, when Ian kind of offhandedly mentioned to me, he's like, mm, "What would it be like if we bought Smosh back when we were hanging out one day?" That was one, like in my thirty minute. You call it a diatribe. It was a diatribe. When I when I went on my thirty minute uninterrupted rant. rant. <laughs> <laughs> but when I went on that ramp, that was one of the things that was at the front of uh, the ideas that I was mm. pitching for you know these ideas that I was ruminating on because I had done a, uh, a kind of test, a soft test for uh, my I spent a day with series. Mm -hmm. You know, over there I offer uncensored uh, with uncensored episodes without any ads, without any sponsorship. So they kind of get like the, the optimal experience. And I've seen some success over there, but I knew with Smosh sketches, we could really utilize this to its fullest potential. Mm. 
when I'm getting so many people just on the street or message, messaging me saying, I love Smosh so much, I'd love to see you make more. I'm like, maybe people would be willing to front, you know, a couple bucks or even up to 10 bucks a month to, to help see this happen. Yeah. And many people have. Do you, do you have a ballpark of how many people have become members of the Smosh main channels? I don't know. I think, I think like annually it'll, it'll be in like decent six figures. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that will help the uh, offset the cost of the production. Yeah. And so people know what are the things that you offer with like, a, a, like yeah, because so you have to be super thoughtful. But I was at YouTube when we launched memberships and the channels that had like a plan. Because it's a serious lift on your end. Yeah, yeah, it is. Perks. It is, and and that's and that's something that we wrestled with prior to Anthony coming on. We had already been talking about memberships, but we were, it's it's kind of this like wrestling with like, well, if we add more content, then we need to hire mm, more yeah, people, yeah. and then it like equals out. Sometimes it's yeah. If you sometimes you know, we were doing the math with all these different formations of ways that we could. Uh, make this work with balancing what we offer versus the prices. And in a lot of our estimations, we were like, we're bringing in the exact same amount of money that we're needing to spend in order to produce the extra content, in order to make the extra hire. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that was that's really scary because you you're, you want to offer these things so that people sign up. Yeah. But then if you don't deliver in a way that feels like it, like there's a lot of care and, and love that's put into it, then people are un satisfied and then they don't sign up again for the next month yeah yeah and i think i think uh another thing is like for years we had this we had this behind the scenes bloopers reel that we would put on smosh.com mm -hmm. and then when smosh.com became less of a destination we put the behind the scenes and bloopers on our channel and they would get way less views than the main videos because mm -hmm. of course mm -hmm. not everybody's interested in right that. right and then it became like, oh, is this like hurting the channel to put it on there? Mm. So then we like put it to our second channel and then like it got even less views. And we're like, ah, and but then people would be like, where's the behind the scenes? We like, guys, like they don't perform well. We can't put them out. Yeah, it's hurting so, the channel. Yeah, and it's hurting the channel. So it was like, this, this was like another like perfect kind of thing where we're like, mm. oh, duh. We can go back to creating behind the scenes footage, mm. bloopers, deleted scenes, extended mm -hmm. scenes. And give that to the members. Yeah, yeah. So it's right now our focus is like making memberships sustainable, like not over promising and under delivering. Mm -hmm. So we came in with something that was like very sustainable, mm -hmm. and and we're gonna look for other ways to reward the members for for being members. You know, getting them involved in um, deciding some things for mm -hmm. videos and and getting more input, mm -hmm. um, and just making them feel like they're being heard and 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 rewarded and thanked for for their support yeah right now we have three tiers the the first tier is three dollars a month and that really is that's the tier for you to show support for you to uh help fund these videos and allow them to be created in the first place uh and they get access to the things that uh, any membership on youtube provides which includes uh you know stickers which are like those emojis those custom yeah, emojis, yeah, things yeah. like that they get their name and a, and a different color on the on the live chats they get a symbol next to their name um discord access and they get discord access so it's kind of like we kind of have like a small like well it's kind of like a fan club on the discord where they get to all talk to each other and sometimes we'll drop in and talk to to people there or drop like an exclusive photo a behind yeah. the scenes thing 
And then the second tier is $5 a month. And that is what gets you access to mm-hmm. all the previous tier, but also those behind the scenes and bloopers yeah. videos. So when you're done watching the video on the same day, we release the, the you know, 10 to 20 minute video with all the outtakes and the you know, bloopers, all that kind of good stuff. And then uh, we have the highest tier, the Smosh Royalty tier, which is $10 a month, which gets you access to get a, a, a live stream. We mm-hmm. do a live watch party uh, a couple hours after every sketch is released, cool. and we heavily interact with the audience there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we break down that sketch. We talk about the process of creating it. We answer questions, and we just hang out with people for an hour, so we really are just sitting down and hanging out with people in that tier. And right now, that's that's kind of what we launched with, and that's what's sustainable. But as we continue to yeah. grow the membership, we're gonna we have a ton of plans to start introducing more and more things that makes it, you know, an offer that you can't refuse. You're like, okay, I want to see more of these sketches, but also I get all these other incredible things. So we're slowly uh, churning out new offerings as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's a great commentary on, like, that's almost like your most sacred relationship, like, with the yeah. fan, and if they're paying you, you got to really show up oh, in yeah. a sustainable way. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like you guys have also been really thoughtful about all your formats over the years, because I think that's such a great way to sustain creativity. I, I just want to go through, like, some of the many formats you guys have on your channel. And, and over the years, you guys have had um, Food Battle, Every Blank Ever, um, Blank in Real Life, uh, Funeral Roast, like, Versus, like, What If, like, just so many different formats. Um, how do you come up with them? And how do you know if they're one day, like, that's worth repeating or that has life? Because I think a lot of people, like, if they're starting up on YouTube, they have a success, they don't know how to replicate it. Yeah, I mean, I can speak to the very early days of us coming up with formats on the main Smosh channel, the sketches. So things like Food Battle, we called, like we came up with this absurd idea and we called it, first it was just called Food Battle. And we're like, let's call it Food Battle 2006 because (laughs) it makes it sound like a sporting event. Yeah, like make it sound like this epic thing that everyone can't help but like tune into. Uh, And that was really planned to be a one-off. We didn't know that we were creating a series at that point, but mm. come 2007, people were like, where's Food Battle 2007? We're like, oh, I guess people want to see more of this. Let's do another one. And in the early days of us creating these formats, really it was just a matter of us uh, responding, like keeping up with the audience and what they wanted more of. So we were like, we'll keep doing more of these things, repeat these, I guess they're called formats, uh, if people want more of it. And that's the old, that was us in the beginning. But... It's a very smart move to start creating formats because you don't have to put all the time and energy into coming up with that from scratch. Instead, there's you come up with a really, really good idea for this format, and then you have all these fill-in-the-blanks. Yeah. And you find ways to keep it fresh while not having to completely start from scratch every single time. And it's also like what the viewers want. Like they like viewers kind of show that like they don't always want a complete mystery. Mm. Like they they want to click on something that they know they're already going to like. With some familiarity. So, yeah, they yeah. want familiarity. So I think the the formats are are great for us creatively because it doesn't force us to completely reinvent the wheel every time. Um, but it's also great because the viewer is like, okay, I saw in every blank ever before, or I, or I watched Reddit stories before yeah. on on the Smosh Pit channel, and a new one pops up, and they're like, okay, I already know this is something I enjoy that I could put on, like, if I'm doing laundry or whatever. Yeah. 
and um, yeah, just having that kind of consistency is is so important. Yeah, it's episodic. It's a part yeah. of the show as opposed to yeah. trying to understand what's this new thing, even if it's from a familiar channel. Yeah, and, and uh, in the past, our repeated formats weren't on any kind of schedule. Mm -hmm. They weren't really treated like a real show. You know, we would release them every... Uh, movies in real life, or like, uh, wait, if movies are real, if video games are real, those types of things we would just release whenever we had a new idea. Mm. But as we we started evolving and, and realizing that repeated formats were sometimes easier to come up with ideas and also people really enjoy that, we started being like, cool, every single week it's every blank ever or on the Smosh Pit channel, every single week it's a Reddit story. Mm. You know who's hosting it. You know that Shane's hosting it. You know the kind of dynamic that you're going to get. It has all these familiar aspects to it, but then you get uh, some fresh new element in there. You know, you get a try not to laugh episode. You know what to expect from it, but then there's something new that you can't help but tune into. Yeah. Um, I want to go through that ideation process. Like, how many people are in the room when you guys are coming up with ideas or writing? Like, how big is that team? And then it seems like, I mean, all this stuff is done in-house. Like, you're building sets. Like, editing in-house, I got a chance to walk around by the editing and be like, but the idea process, since that seems so core to who you are and the personality, how many people are involved in the room when you guys start on a video? So for the sketches, it's just Anthony and I. Really? Yeah. So right now we, we're, we're kind of playing things close to our chest as far as like the, the writing process goes. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe down the road we'll, we'll open it up a little bit, but we kind of told we told the company, like, as far as, like, writing the Smosh sketches go, it's it's going to be just Anthony and I mm. first. Kind of as we reestablish the tone, we, we're just doing so much research and really analyzing, like, what worked in the past, what didn't work, and taking our time to delicately establish that. Mm. And then in the future, I, I'm assuming that once we've established enough of that, we have a tone where we're also coming up with certain ways to describe the content. Right now we're calling the content on the main Smosh channel and the tone of it, joyful absurdity. <laughs> so like we have a direction yeah. and we're, we're coming up with certain things and even writing them down and being, I'm kind of in the back of my head, starting to really understand it fully so that we could potentially teach someone in the future. Mm. But we're going back to our roots in such a way that we really are just doing everything ourselves on mm. that channel. Yeah. But then the other channels. The other channels have directors. Mm. So the Smosh Pit channel has a director and, and she has an associate producer as well. And, and Smosh Pit is like kind of a variety like, so channel. So Smosh Pit so we've always described as like our unscripted channel. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it originally started as, it was originally my personal channel. ENH. <laughs> it was called ENH. And then <laughs> we, and I, and I started doing this show on there called Ian is Bored, where yeah. it's just, I would just do a random thing on there. We, we, eventually rebranded it as Smosh Pit. And then we started putting these sort of like different unscripted shows on there. Um, and then one of the things that hit big was Try Not To Laugh, right. our Try Not To Laugh series where we'd have somebody sit in a stool, people would come out in random costumes they put on and come out as a character, or yeah. do something to try to make the person laugh. In the Improvise, stool. yeah. And, and we found a lot of success with that. And then we started adding on other other series. And that was definitely a channel where we tried a lot of different formats. Yeah. We we have Eat It or Yeet It, mm -hmm. which is our food show. There was a while that we had this show called Spelling Bikini Wax, <laughs> which was just a brutal show where it was a spelling bee 
but if you got it wrong, you uh, got you got a part of your hair waxed. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't part of Smosh. He wasn't around at that time. <laughs> yeah. But like it was it was it was really cool because like there was there was this like immense collaboration that was going on and yeah. we and we would invite everyone in the company to pitch. Mm. Um, and then it would ultimately be the decision of uh, the the leaders. Uh, whether it be myself or now the director who's who's do she's doing like a lot of the deci- the decision making on that channel mm. um and and so just feels like you guys are a bit you're still involved but a bit more removed in the main right. channel which is just you guys yeah, yeah we're really overseeing it and at this point we're not making any firm decisions to change anything yeah. but yeah. i'm coming up with a lot of ideas and we're sitting down having discussions with them and having them kind of tell us what really works in their opinion. And mm-hmm. then we're saying what works in our opinion. And then we're finding that happy medium where we're then able to really get a full grasp on what types of things, like what is it that makes the Smosh Pit so channel? It's yeah. the dynamic between the crew, it's, I mean, the cast, and it's um, the audience kind of feeling like they're they're flying the wall with a group of friends. Maybe they're in on it. Maybe they're living vicariously. Maybe they feel like they're with them. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a, and it's also like a feel good channel but yeah that and then you know we've been uh hearing some pitches from certain cast members and certain things that cast members might be excited about being a host of as we're mm. seeing a lot of success with with our other shows that have hosts and uh so it's a it's a long very methodical process but uh we're right now in the in the beginning stages of piloting some new ideas and things like that so that's something that we're going to be doing a lot more of is piloting new show ideas and seeing what really sticks. Interesting. Um, with the main channel, you have an idea, like like let's say you finish a script, it's in the first draft, what happens after that? Um, then we work with our, our AP to uh, turn it into a script and then- Associate producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah associate yeah, producer, yeah. 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 And then uh, she she turns it into a script, and we talk about it, and then uh, we shot list it. Go and off then, to the shot list, and then we shoot it. And then yeah, then uh, you know the crew or yeah the producer will come in and see the script and the shot list, and then we have an art team that helps gather and create any props that we <laughs> need. And uh, yeah, luckily there's a point where we hand it off. Yeah. Obviously in the very early days, Ian and I did every single element of it, but now we have such a talented crew that you know we can hand it off and know that it's in safe hands and a lot of times even even though we've only shot like four or five sketches at this point uh we come in and everything just looks way better than i had even imagined it in my head and it gives us a lot of freedom to uh to kind of take that burden off our plate so we can just stay focused on the create on the creative in that brainstorming process because I, I think so many good ideas get cut down early yeah um how do you like what, what, what do you guys i think you guys are magic together like how do you like build off each other there's certain ground rules that you have like i did an interview with zach king where he was saying okay in the initial ideas meeting everybody has to say yes and you mm. know they can't cut it down you can't put on your producer hat too soon mm. um, are there certain things that you guys do when it's just the two of you to make sure you're building on the idea make sure you push the boundaries with your jokes like yeah. what, what's happening in that closed room that we don't see i think i think a lot of what happens what we've seen happen with a few of our sketches is we'll start with an idea and it'll transform into a completely different video and i think what's cool about that is that we're not holding on to the original idea mm. it's like the funnier uh, option always wins mm-hmm. so the the one that we just the one that we 
did recently, like I, I had almost forgot what the original concept was um, because it changed so much. And it was like, I don't know if it'll be out by then, but but it was it, it originally started as uh, like a sentient AI kind of thing. And then it like, and then it transformed to like, okay, it's gonna be like this robot that we accidentally mess up. And the sentient thing is just like one little part of it. Yeah. But it's just kind of like we allow ourselves to like let go of something if there's a funnier idea and just like go off on like crazy tangents. Um, and we're not we're not precious. I yeah. Think. yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be sitting there with the the the, the laptop, uh, writing out all of our ideas. We'll kind of be uh, lately because this is the very early stages. We'll go back through some of our old videos. I'm like, here are the here. I really like that one element of this old sketch. This kind of idea, and it's usually like us going head to head on something, us working together to to solve a problem, us going against some kind of like yeah. joining forces to go against some kind of uh, evil thing, or like um, us like trying to one-up each other and mess with each other and ruin each other's day. Like, we'll figure out one kind of uh, through line for the plot, and then we just start throwing out a bunch of ideas. Uh, but I'll start writing it out, and then Ian will, he always gets like, he, actually, the thing that always happens is Ian goes, this is a really stupid idea. <laughs> and I'm like, what is it? And I'm ready to type it out. And he tells me the idea, and it's 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 usually really, really funny. And if it's not, then, it, then I usually get an idea. I'm like, okay, I see where you're going with that, but... Uh, this, I don't think that works because of this. I think that we could go somewhere down here. And mm. I think that the interesting part of that process is it doesn't ever seem like any of us is just like, no, that's stupid or anything like mm. that. It's right. really like, it's like, okay, I see where you're going. Or like, oh, that's really funny. Or we'll write it down. I'm like, I don't think that works. Let's come back to that. And yeah, I'm I'm constantly like copy pasting shit that's not working and throwing it to the, to the bottom so we can refer to it later and not have to hold on mm. to it. Mm. But it's like about keeping the funniest stuff there throwing anything else that doesn't work like somewhere else on the page so we don't have to think about it anymore. But if we need to refer to it, it's there. It's not gone forever. And then it's just, um, there's like this just very, we comb through and just refine. We're like, this part's not that funny. This part, the pacing feels too slow. This part, mm -hmm. there's not a really a joke here. How can we throw something in? And it's a lot of just us one-upping each other while I'm kind of there in charge of the format, which I feel like I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. And also I feel like I'm really good at saying, this idea works and this idea doesn't. So I'm constantly just like throwing stuff out or saying like, this one is on the right path, but it's not strong enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think some people would get, could get frustrated at something like that. But I think Anthony and I have a specific shorthand and I think we understand each other in a way that we never really found other creative partners um, that quite clicked with us like we do mm -hmm. in the, in the time that we were apart. I feel like I, I didn't quite like I, I. I felt like I was kind of like operating at like, you know, seventy percent, mm. and I never like I. St I still had great like people that I was working with, and really really funny people that I was working with, but I never felt like I was contributing, uh, at a level that I should have been, mm. uh, that I can with Anthony. And and yeah, and how much? I mean, one thing that's also interesting that's changed since you guys were last together and brainstorming is how much of a bigger deal the algorithm is. You know, I was looking at your past content. There's there's a lot of jokes that push the boundaries, you know, blood. Like, there's a lot of things that, you know, could trip mm. the wire of monetization guidelines. How do you stay original without thinking about the algorithm? Or do you? Does it get into those meetings? Like, that joke, 
that's going to ruin monetization for us. Like, how, how, how do you protect that or does that affect you? I'm just curious to hear about your thought process. Yeah, every once in a while, we run into something where we're like, mm, that's pushing it a little bit. And what we do, because we have the backup of having memberships, yeah. it gives us a little bit of leeway to be like, that's the funniest joke. Yeah. Um, but I think it's actually really interesting. And one thing that Ian and I do really well is we work really well with limitations. Mm. Like the more limited something gets, as long as I have freedom within that limitation, I think that our stuff gets really strong. In the early days, we were literally making things out of cardboard. We created, mm. you know, that Boxman character mm. because we didn't have any budget. All we had was we were looking for around for props in my bedroom and we have this cardboard box there. Like we work really well within con confined spaces. Mm. And every once in a while it's like, oh, that joke, it's kind of pushing it in a way that might not really do well, it could get the video just like, not even just demonetized, but blacklisted. Mm. And like, then the audience doesn't even see it. Yeah. And we're like, is there a funnier right. way to do this that still works? Mm. And nine times out of 10, we think of a funnier idea that I'm mm. like, if I were given these two options, I would choose this one anyway. So it doesn't feel like a compromise, it feels like a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there's also a lot of comedy in not showing the thing that would get you demonetized. Oh, interesting. So I think like, even when it comes to like certain curse words where we're like, technically this doesn't get you demonetized, this is okay, but it's funnier when <laughs> yeah. you bleep. Our editor was like, you don't have to bleep shit. And I was like, but it's funnier, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Funnier. And I was like, then yeah, let's, let's bleep it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and like, yeah, other things like sexual content, it's way funnier not showing it and just like, Having it, having the person think about it, yeah, is is like Hearing way funny, way funnier than like actually showing it because then it's just like kind of gross. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or throwing something off screen and it's just a shot of the person there and we get like all these sound effects and explosion and like shit, yeah. like something flying at their face. Like it, it's just funnier half the time. Most of the time, actually, it's funnier to not even necessarily see it. It reminds me of this uh, Sacha Baron Cohen. I think he did this press tour for one of his movies, and there was a scene that was so grotesque that he couldn't show. So his promotion was showing the audience reaction to it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, like, people went, I think that video got so many views because people were like, what are they seeing? Yeah. They're just left more to the imagination. Exactly, so. yeah. If we're yeah. watching something really fucked up on a computer screen, just show us looking at it, yeah. you know? And there's so many... I think that there's so many creative ways to to find a, a way to elevate the joke mm, yeah. while while pulling back on the grotesque nature. Yeah. I think also like I mean one of the biggest one of the biggest changes that we've that we've had to make since old Smosh is like how often people got shot with guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like that's that's obviously been a challenge where like I'll joke like, oh, we would have just shot somebody in this scene. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, what, what should we do instead? I mean, yeah. you could do a special effect of someone blowing up, mm. you know? Yeah. And sometimes that's funnier. Or in this recent video, uh, we were tossing around the idea of Ian just unloading a, a, a gun on this like weird sentient AI thing. <laughs> but then we were like, okay, actually it would be funnier if he just unloads on it with this with this other object that uh, was introduced earlier mm. in the video. So then it's a callback and it's this funnier action. There's like funnier movement and sound effects that we can add to it. Mm -hmm. Not saying that we're going to completely stray away from any guns because we're like scared of what happens. But if it's the funniest joke only, 
What other constraints you guys put on yourselves to be more creative? Because I'm looking around, you guys have now over 40 employees, you have the soundstage, you have these sets, like, you know, there, there, there's so much money that goes into the production. Like, what are constraints that you put on yourself and, and how do you do it now that you're at this scale? Yeah, the, the constraints are, I want things to be able to shot, be shot in one day. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so uh, in the past, a lot of times we would just write whatever the hell we wanted and then sometimes it would take two days to shoot a sketch and... Sometimes we shoot for like, 14 hours. Yeah, and and there's ways <laughs> in, to, in the old days. Yeah, yeah. And, so and scheduling is like now another constraint, uh, which I guess comes definitely. back to growing a business. Yeah, it's yeah. just time, just time management. Yeah, because we have a, we have a crew here, we have employees. Yeah. Um. So it's it's like it's not so much like, you know, Anthony, myself, a, a camera guy that's our friend, and like a sound <laughs> guy. Like it's it's people that have like lives and and. And like it's their it's their job, but they should also have lives outside of outside of here. So when it comes to sketches, we we want to fit a sketch in one shoot day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to like Smosh Pit and Smosh Games, in order to make that make sense, we we shoot uh, between like four and six pieces of content a day. Wow. Yeah, not the same show over and over and over again. It's all the different types of shows, so no one's like completely burnt out. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always like. I mean, this is this is not something we actively do, but yeah. our our wonderful production people work out these like insane insane schedules. I don't know how they. It's make like it a work, spider web of like. But it's it's like you know making sure like that it's it's like you're not like overloading every talent. You're not putting mm. you're not always putting that person in six videos in a day, mm. or you're not having everybody do you know, four try not to laughs in a row. Interesting. So it's like it's all very mindful, and we have like such an amazing. Um, crew here that that is very mindful of like people's like sanity and, and <laughs> yeah because like we all understand like you know like we we have to take care of the the people that are in front of the camera and behind the camera mm. if we want to keep operating at this level yeah and and uh Ian and I have been there you know we've been on both sides we've been behind camera we've been in front of camera we know what it feels like to just be worked to to death on uh in a single day or with a single format. Um, yeah, so we're able to take that guidance and, and the, the whole crew, the whole production crew is really good at keep keeping people's uh, you know mental health at the front of their minds. Yeah, I dug up this clip. Yeah. I just want to show you guys and, and get your reaction from your early, early days. Yep. Yeah, um, this, was... this was from, I think it was one of the first like Times a news station covered a YouTuber in history. <laughs> For real? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember the. Um, it's like they called you a cyber internet celebrity. Or yeah, yeah, cyber celebrity. This is where the magic happens. A pair of teens are hard at work. It's before HD too. Yeah. It's be really intense. It's gonna be like Food Battle 2006. Yeah. Oh, this was making Food Battle. Their ideas on a notepad. The notepad I used to write all the ideas on. Video clips. Just using the basics, a camera and a computer. Our hair is so bad. Just random conversation. I didn't know how to speak. chewing gum? Yeah, you were. Began shooting close to a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What do you think of it as you look back on that? Like, uh, that, I'm so happy that exists. It captured such a very special. Kind of a pivotal moment with with Smosh, because we were were creating Food Battle 2006, which we had no idea was going to be an annual event. And it's the most, the, the thing that people reference the most mm. when yeah. they talk about Smosh, yeah. yeah, food battle. And yeah. then also like I, in that interview, we like, we were cutting up uh, the Boxman music video, which is our first 
our first like original rap, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which which became pivotal in uh, the history of Smosh videos as well. Yeah. Uh, but it was so cool, you know that that was that literally showed where the first videos that we ever made happened. It was in my bedroom at my mom's house, and that is what our life was like. Just sitting there on the computer, getting excited about ideas and. Uh, I think Ian was the one that suggested the 2006, yeah. you know, so so I was there implementing these ideas and I would have a great time editing these things and learning how to edit in the process. And Ian would, because he wasn't editing, his brain was was free to come up with all these insane ideas. And he was like, oh, do 2006 <laughs> and have it crash together. And then I learned how to make the graphics come on screen and like all these explosions and sound effects. And I think uh, that showed the... Um, the, the dynamic between us of me sitting there implementing these ideas and finding a way to one up or, or guide some of the ideas, throw out the stuff that didn't work super well, uh, telling him like, I think we could do better with that one. And then Ian just sitting there and spitballing ideas. And uh, it's just really cool to see that. Yeah. yeah. And it's really cool to see where your friendship has come, come and just all the ebbs and flows and mm-hmm. yeah, building. I, I can't believe we're on like this set and just, it started there. It literally started there, just the two of us coming up with ideas and implementing them and, uh, you know, getting excited about, ooh, what are people going to think? You know, are, are people going to have a good time watching this in the same way that we had a good time making this? Also not thinking we were going <laughs> to turn it into a business. No, I mean, <laughs> if I could tell that version of myself there that we would be in this, well, I don't know, 17,000 square foot building creating uh, a huge repeated slate of shows with 35 employees and all these hilarious cast members and uh, in a way creating this legacy and having sold the company and repurchased the company and that dumb little logo that I made when I was 14 years old would still be plastered all over everything and painted on walls in this building I would I would not know how to respond and also that that we were we're still creating the same oh true We're, we're literally Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to spoil anything. Full but, circle. But like, it's so full circle. I will say yeah. the fact that we are creating food battle in that moment oh. is very interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, oh, mm. cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, the number six seems to be really important in your journey. <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't know what it's like that. Uh, but uh, 2005, you guys mm-hmm. uploaded your first video. Yeah. Um, 2011, six years later, you sold. Mm-hmm. Um, six years after that, 2017, you left. Well, it was actually 28. 28- oh, yeah, it was one. Oh, shit. Yeah. Six years, six years. Yeah. Six years later, yep. you guys bought it back. Yep. Yeah. I think it was six years and six days to the date. When for I was the, looking for at the it. announcement, yeah. The announcement. So, yeah. None of those things were planned to be six years. Sure, sure. Was, yeah. it, was it in yeah, June, yeah. too? Yeah. Oh, it my was God. June. Six months. Was oh, it, shit. Was it June 6th? No, it was, it was June fourteenth, and then okay. and then June twentieth. But, but but my question: six years from now, yeah, what are we talking about? What 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 is Smosh? Um, what, what do you guys hope you're doing? Probably sell to Disney. Yeah, five hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah. in the pocket, baby. Yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna pull a maker. We're yeah, gonna sell to Disney. I want to have a a bunker of expensive cars that I never drive. <laughs> uh, I I hope to turn this into. An e, a, a business, a company that f- that is continuing to to thrive with all the success that we've seen, but keeping the element of Smosh that was there since the beginning, which is friendship. It's the the, the chemistry and dynamic between friends and capturing that moment and having people be able to connect with that on camera. 
and feel those that, that magic feeling that that's in the room when you're creating this stuff and feeling that you know on their own or with their friends or with the community of, of other Smosh fans. Um, it's doing more, but better without seeing dollar signs as the only motivation. Mm. Seeing that as as a just a really cool bonus. Really focusing on the content and elevating everyone involved on camera and off camera so that they can do more of what they love in uh, a stronger or better way, you know, elevating that while um, hopefully reducing the things that they don't love as much so they get to focus all their creative passion on just doing what they really love. Beautiful. And Ian, what about you? You know, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think, and I think it's just providing a place for the funniest people to come together. Yeah. Um, I think that was that was one of our that was one of our missions and I think it will continue to be our mission. And and it's so great to read the comments of people saying that they they look forward to these these videos and they they love the dynamics that we've that we've created with with other cast members and um and I don't know, there's just a lot about the world that sucks and I think it's really cool to bring some some light into the world. Yeah, behind the scenes, um, you know, everyone, when one person thrives, everyone thrives a little bit more. And if you can elevate everyone so everyone's thriving, it's uh, it's a really great feeling. And uh, having that feeling be captured and making people that watch these this content feel good as well, kind of forget some of their worries. Um you know, that is one comment that we receive a lot with with uh, creating the, the classic style sketches is I've seen people say something like uh, that that magical feeling that I used to feel when I was a when I was a kid. I thought that it was gone, but it's still there. Yeah. I, I just wasn't exposing myself to this kind of silliness, this joyful absurdity that we, we talk about. Like that feeling is still there. It's not just because I was a kid. It's because of the type of content that I was consuming. And I think a lot of us got... Uh, kind of trapped in this cycle of looking at really dark content for mm. a long time. And we started to feel like the world was a dark and scary place and just just kind of feel shitty. And creating this stuff and consuming this type of content, um, I hope it can help remind people that there is a little bit of light in the world and capturing, like having that that special dynamic with a friend or with a group of friends is really special. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for all the light that you bring, the, the the laughter, like seeing your friendship on full display, like the business. I can't wait to watch this next chapter of Smosh. And just thank you for taking me behind the scenes today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so a wrap, guys. That's a wrap. All right, if you made it this far, hit that follow button because I think you're going to love our next episode and leave a review. It only takes a few seconds. You don't even have to write anything. But if you want, drop in your social handle and you'd be surprised at how many times I DM folks say hi, see how it can help out because ultimately meeting you guys and helping you guys is why I started this. I'll see you next time.